Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Socks on Tap. That is right. The OG Crackham crew is back for a season reflection episode of Socks on Tap. It's been a while since we've been here. I am your dude, Buzz. I am joined by my guys, Johnny Nani and Tony Marchese. We are the On Tap Sportsnet. We've been gone for a while. We've missed you. But like I said, it's a season reflection show. We've been doing our own little ventures since the offseason has started for the White Sox. I've been doing some Bulls stuff. Nani and Tony have been doing some Blackhawks stuff. But we wanted to come together tonight for all of you and ourselves, really, because we, we miss this, and talk about the season reflection for the Sox. Tony, you excited, bro? It feels very good to be back here. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, just seeing both of you on my computer screen at the same time, you know, it's one of my favorite things because I know we're about to talk White Sox when we're on a call together. So I'm excited about this. We got a lot to break down today. It's been, what, three or four weeks almost since we all uh, got together and, and talked a little White Sox baseball. Um, you know, it's been a lot of business type stuff every time we've been talking, less White Sox, more on tap general stuff. So uh, this is good. Um, I'm excited to crack some beers all night and talk about one of our favorite teams. Hell yeah, guys, I'm excited to be back. Uh, like you had mentioned, probably about three weeks, three and a half weeks or so uh, since the end of the season. And, uh, you know, like Buzz had said, uh, we've been busy. We're grinding away still. So if you want to hear our beautiful voices uh, elsewhere, uh, Buzz will be doing that over at Bulls on Tap. And then Tony and I on the Four Feathers podcast and Blackhawks on Tap. So we've been busy with that. But uh, like we said, good to be back. And Buzz, uh, I told you before we started this call that it was a season reflection, not a recap. And I feel like these couple of weeks gave us some time to sort out our thoughts and really let this thing sink in. Cause it'd be really easy to just look at numbers, you know, two days after the season's over, but now it's, you know, sinking in. We're thinking about free agency coming up. Um, we're thinking about potential trades. We're thinking about prospects. So um, I've got a lot of thoughts and I'm excited to get them out there tonight. So uh, once again, good to be back guys. Crack them. Absolutely. And before we get into all that, be sure to go on tapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. And uh, yeah, that 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 that's all I wanted to say. It feels nice to say that on a socks on tap. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I've like botched the first like three episodes of Bulls on Tap because I keep wanting to say, "Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Socks and Bulls on Tap." Because I keep, <laughs> yeah, I almost I almost butchered it last night uh, on Blackhawks on Tap. I think I almost said socks like two or three times, and I was like, "Had to catch myself." I'm just so used to doing this show. Um, you know, we we did. I think. How many episodes, Johnny? It was over uh, 100 and 120, it was, wasn't it? We were in the mid-120s. I could pull up our radio public and see the exact number here in a second. Actually, I will get that for you. Actually, 118. So, yeah. 118. So, this would be 119. Um, yeah, I, I was I was close. I was close. Um, but, you know, we had quite a good time. At least I did. Recapping Sox games all year with you guys. A lot of memorable moments. Maybe we'll run through some of that stuff, too, as, as well as talk about, you know, uh, a very White Sox-heavy show here. But, uh, Johnny, what, what do we got first on the agenda tonight, man? Yeah, so, I mean, overall, I wanted to get thoughts. Uh, like I said, season reflection. So now that you've had a little bit of time to think about it, um, let's get overall thoughts, and then we'll go through the good, the bad, um, some burning questions that will be uh, going into the offseason and into the 2020 season, and then we can talk a little socks on tap stuff, uh, some of our favorite moments, maybe some ballpark stuff after that. Sound good? Yeah, perfect. All right, uh, let's kick it off. Uh, thoughts on the season. The White Sox finished with the 72-89 and record. That is a 10-game improvement from 
2018 when they finished 62 and 100. Um, feels good to avoid the 100 loss thing because there were times the season, guys, where <laughs> I thought we were going to get back to it. Um, just some uninspiring plays, some patchwork uh, in the starting rotation uh, where you pretty much felt like you had a loss every time that uh, your four or five guys are taking the mound. So um, glad we avoided that. And uh, definitely it's cliche, but uh, some big, big uh, time, you know, improvements from guys like Timmy uh, Mancata, and then Eloy started to put together at the end of the year. So, um, I, I mean, overall, you know, I, I get all negative Nani and stuff when we're doing a game, and it's easy to when we're, you just watch the game, and that's your, you know, first rapid fire reaction, um, especially in losses and embarrassing walk off losses or just getting, you know, uh, shellacked, as you like to say it, uh, Tony and Buzz. So, um, uh, thinking back on it, though, uh, definitely steps in the right direction, but uh, definitely some holes for me, and we will address all those specifically here. But let's get the overview from you, Buzz. Yeah, so the overview of the season, I mean, you know, I'm always that silver linings guy. I know you hate that, but I'm, I'm always that silver linings guy that's trying to look it's for called something. called balance. <laughs> right, right, and that's, and that's why we work so well together. Uh, you know, for me, Tim Anderson winning a batting title. Um, you know, Yohan Mankata, I mean, arguably – and could have been an MVP candidate if he was on a better team, probably. I know Mike, you know, you could use that argument for Trout or whatever. But, I mean, we just saw a lot of improvement this year uh, of two core guys. And like you said, Eloy came on. I mean, who who's to say what he would have done it, without the uh, the passing of his grandmother or his two IL stints? He played real great. Lucas Giolito looking like an ace all year. You know, he's a finalist for the AL comeback of the year. I mean, there was a lot of good things that happened. And I'm optimistic if the team spends some money in free agency that we can make something happen. So, I mean, I'm very happy with a 10 game improvement because some of these episodes that we, we, we all recorded together, getting on that mic after a, an absolute ass kicking was hard. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to stay positive, but uh, you know, just getting towards the end of the season and, and, you know, like now that we're watching a playoff game right now and just getting towards the end of it, I'm optimistic that the, the Sox are in the right direction, hopefully. So, um, Sucks that we didn't get to the promised land of where we wanted to be in the playoffs, but at least we saw improvement out of some core players. What do you got, Tone? Well, you know, right now I'm trying to, you know, find my identity because we've got negative Nani on one corner and we've got like blissfully ignorant to Jerry Reinsdorf buzz. And then there's me somewhere in the middle. Uh, And I don't know exactly what my identity is. I guess that's yet to be determined because both of you guys influenced my thoughts, especially during this year. We record podcasts after every single one of these games, and I think I'm I think I'm very overreactionary. I think to a lot of it because I can see a win, and you know think that this team is is the real deal. They can put it together, and then I see some of this other stuff where you know you lose four or five games in a row. You know, especially back in uh, that that time period right after the All Star break. You bring in A.J. Reed, the team looked like it was worse than the year before. Um, you look at some of the stats during the during different times, and you know the the one that still sticks out to me is when the the Mets pitchers had you know what was that a better batting average than you know RDH? And I just look at I look at everything that went. That was right. in like July. That was in like July too, Tone. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just look at everything that this team did this year, and you know you bring up all the positives. You've got a comeback player of the year in Lucas Giolito. You've got a batting title winner in Tim Anderson at at the shortstop position. I mean, 
that's, you know, that's not exactly something that's easy to come by. You've got a guy that led the league in RBIs. You've got a rookie who arguably, if he was healthy all year, could have been a rookie of the year. You just had all of this stuff. And then on top of it, you've got your number one, former number one overall prospect and Yon Moncada having an MVP caliber season, everything that needed to go right for this team this year in order for them to be competitive did from all the question marks that we had with these young guys, all of that development took place and look where they finished. It wasn't exactly good. You know what I mean? There was still a lot of bad mixed in there. Not only that, you had a closer who I think at the end of the year blew maybe one or two saves. You know, you had a solid back end of the bullpen. There was a lot of pieces on this team, guys, that it worked. And you're not, you can't really expect so much more than what you got out of these guys. Is Yon Moncada going to be a 7 8 war player every single year? Probably not. He still has holes in his game. But he is he's he's up there with the best of them. So, you know, when you talk about where can you take steps forward? I don't know if you can expect a whole lot more out of them. Is Tim Anderson going to be a perennial uh, batting average title guy? I don't think so. You may see him come out next year and hit 270. There were a lot of pieces on this team that if, if you supplemented and this is what makes me so angry about this season and it's still going to haunt me. If you supplemented this roster the right way, we could be talking about playoff baseball right now. I really don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. If you weren't throwing Odrisimer Despagne and Dylan Covey and who else did we have? Irvin Santana, all these starters who don't even deserve to be in the major leagues and trotting guys out there like Yonder Alonso, A.J. Reed, Jose Rondon. You know, I hate to get into some of these other names like Charlie Tilson and, and so forth. You're talking about a completely different ball club because you had that core there. And yes, it's great that the core is in place and you're going to get another core guy coming up in uh, Luis Robert. But this could have been a very easy, easy year for the White Sox to have taken, I think, a giant leap forward instead of baby steps. And I think that that still right now frustrates me to this day. Yeah, I'm with you, Tone. Uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head uh, when you're talking about if it was supplemented better. And I think that's kind of what scares me a lot going into this offseason because obviously last year, uh, colossal failure, um, just brutal with the Machado stuff and then not having a backup plan and then being stuck with John Jay and Yonder Alonzo um, and McCann being really the only guy that really hit uh, of the free agents because we're going to get into it in the bad, but um, you know, a guy like Kelvin Herrera, who you thought was going to be a really solid uh, seventh, eighth inning guy, um, really fell off after the month of March and April. So um, it, it scares me because what are they going to do? Um, and I don't think, at least me, I don't have much faith. And it's easy for White Sox fans to just look at what happened last year and the team's track record and just the records over the past year since 2012, essentially, um, to think what's going to change because Rick Hahn's been at the helm of this whole thing. So um, there are definitely a lot of lingering questions. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there's a lot of questions going into next season, but when you, it, it depends on where you had them pegged, too. Does that make sense? So, like, it depends on where you had them pegged. I pegged them to lose 90-something games, you know, and, I mean, they were at 89. So, obviously, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't great. But I didn't I didn't have them 
is a is a playoff team. I I thought I like I said when that those little sparks come at me and the silver linings come at me when you finish the first half of the season at forty and forty two, and you're like, oh shit, like something cool might be happening here. Maybe this is one of those Cinderella stories or something where it comes together in the second half and they start like making a big push. And obviously we just saw the downfall of the second half of baseball. I think we all of us can agree here. That was just horrible to watch for the most part. You know, you had your some shining moments, but more so downfall moments. I didn't have this team pegged to really to really contend or, or, or be there at all. So the fact that I was, you know, as a fan and, and as a guy that talks about it every day, that I was able to get a, a batting title and, and a Yohan Mankata improvement and Giolito looking like what I didn't think he'd look like. I always had faith that he could be a decent pitcher, but I didn't think he'd do what he did this year. I mean, I'll, I'll take that, man. And and that's just, that's just where I sit with it. And if I'm going to be proven wrong in the offseason, if Jerry doesn't go and, you know, let Rick open up his checkbook and go sign anybody – and then we come into next year in the same position with promise instead of talent, then I'll be sitting right on the train with everybody be like, oh, okay, well, he blew it, you know, but you're getting into that window of contention where you might be able to compete if you go spend some money, and we know we already have some core guys here. So that's where I sit. Like, I'm going to give him the chance. Go ahead and do what you got to do. Let's see if it happens. If it doesn't happen, then we'll be talking the same shit next year doing this uh, reflection show. Well, you know, I, Buzz, I had him pegged for 72 wins in the, the back when this was before on tap, the Shy Sox Weekly era, shysoxweekly.com. We did a season preview, and I'm sure we're going to recap that down on a Shy Sox Weekly episode. But I had him pegged for 72 wins. That's where we finished. You know, so my expectations were pretty much on par with where they were. I think the frustrating part is I don't want my expectations to be met. I want them to be exceeded. And I think that you know, coming in and being realistic is a little bit different than being hopeful and being a fan. As a fan, you want to see them make the playoffs. You want to see them make a run. Um, I look at what Minnesota did this year, and, you know, you easily could have probably stole two or three guys off that roster and had them here instead. You know, you signed Nelson Cruz here to play DH. This lineup becomes very dangerous. You know, you slot him in there behind Jose Abreu or up at number three. You're talking, you're talking pitchers have to get through Yohan Moncada, Nelson Cruz, Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, Eloy Jimenez, even a guy like James McCann. That that's disgusting. You know, we're talking about seven guys and then you throw on, you know, a Lure Garcia to lead it off or even him batting eighth, ninth. You've got maybe one guy in that entire lineup who isn't dangerous, so to speak. If you if you catch my drift here, oh, I totally now understand now what you're you saying. go now you go add Marwin Gonzalez to play second base for you, and these are all guys. These the, the funny part is these are all guys that were rumored to be on the White Sox radar last offseason. Now you go add Marwin Gonzalez to this to this lineup, and all of a sudden the Twins don't have them, and you do. You know that that right there, the difference right there helps you go out and compete for the division this year while these guys are all developing. I don't understand why they didn't take that approach. It, it, you know, I know it wasn't Manny Machado or bust, but you still could have failed on Manny Machado and converted on a few other guys. Imagine if it was DJ LeMahieu and you had two guys hitting close to 330 for a majority of your year. You know, it just and that wasn't even expensive. You know, to go get DJ LeMahieu at $12 million a year, you can't tell me that that wasn't something that was in range for the White Sox to do. You know, you, you, you're paying, you, you paid Nova 
Yonder Alonso, um, Irvin Santana. You know, you paid all these guys more than what it would have cost you to go out and acquire another guy who would have been, you would have had the top three batting averages in the league on this roster had you spent $12 million. Right. But I mean, in, and I'm not going to say in Rick Hahn's defense or anything like that. I'm not going to say that. I'm just talking about what I know and what I, what I've seen. Nobody wanted some of those guys that you just mentioned. And they were like completely X'd out, at least in the, in the White Sox Twitter community where no one wanted them. Who cares? Well, right. Again, I'm just saying that that, at the time, that's what was being said. They want over the hill players. They didn't want that. And that's not not what happened. Again, I'm not. These are short term. These are short term deals, man. And if you think I I don't think think Nelson Cruz is going to get us over the hump to get us anywhere. No, but he makes the roster better. I'll go out there and say I was I was arguing with people on Twitter that I didn't want Nelson Cruz. You know, I, I didn't want Nelson Cruz. I wanted something better than that. But, you know, well, we all did. We got what we ended up getting was a tier lower than all of that. You're you absolutely know? right. But I mean, again, at the, like I said, at the same time, all the guys that you just named weren't going to get it. Like, I don't think would have got us over the hump. Maybe LeMahieu. I mean, he was batting, you know, over 300 or whatever. But I mean, again, it's just, you know, where we're at now and where we have the potential to go. Do I think that we're going to go out and get Garrett Cole or Anthony Rendon? No, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, so then you're still going to be playing with the tier of guys like Nelson Cruz's and Marwin Gonzalez's and, uh, you know, uh, DJ LeMahieu's out there. Guys that are serviceable, that are big league ball players. they're not Yolmer Sanchez or Jose Rondon. You know, I, th- I think adding some of that to this roster is going to make it more competitive, but we can sit here and have the argument whether or not that's going to be enough. You know, we, we need to add about 20 wins to this team in order to make the playoffs. You know, you, you saw, you saw what it took to make the playoffs this year and the year before you're going to need to be a 90 win team. Adding 20 victories over the course of an off season is extremely hard to do. Absolutely. Even adding, even adding Manny Machado would not have put you over the hump this year. It wouldn't have. No, I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. But again, like I said, uh, the people that we did get were absolutely garbage and, and horrible, but, Again, Nelson Cruz or Marwin Gonzalez weren't going to get us there either. Would it made us more competitive? So we're talking about 75 wins instead of 72? Yeah, probably. I, th- I think there's some addition by subtraction, though. If you subtract those guys from the Minnesota Twins and you put them on the White Sox, you would expect the Sox to be a little bit more competitive than watching Nelson Cruz hit three home runs <laughs> at the rate. You know, th- those games don't happen now, you know, and, and go out and here's another name, Jake Odorizzi. You know, you basically could have torn down the entire Minnesota Twins offseason by spending maybe around $20 million. What was the Sox payroll this year, Johnny? Give me one second. Yeah. I'd... Total payroll this year, $91,371,201. Okay, so you tell me you go spend, you know, somewhere around $115 million this year, and you would have had a way more competitive ball club and Minnesota would have had a less competitive ball club and everything went right in the division this year too. You saw Cleveland take a step back. They came on strong at towards the end. They did, but they took, you know, a, step, I mean, they took a significant step back. They, they even traded Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Right. You know, so, you know, you lose, I think arguably the best pitcher in the division in Corey Kluber. And then the second best pitcher in Trevor Bauer coming into the year. I, I'm going to say those are the top two pitchers in the division. 
and you know they take a step back Minnesota kind of pieces together a roster here and they go on a tear you know and, and Minnesota's not I don't think they're they're going anywhere they're still going to be a highly competitive team in this division over the next year or two and they've got some prospects themselves that still haven't reached the majors so that's who you're competing against directly all I'm trying to get at is if you if you just supplemented a little bit if you took the approach the Twins did this year, you could have you could have signed some guys to very short-term deals, one to two-year contracts, not tie up a lot of money. There's basically nothing on the books next year, and you still would have the room to go out and spend on a guy. Because, guys, there's money to go sign Garrett Cole. There is. Absolutely. Yeah. Is, is, is that the right option? Maybe, maybe not. Will it happen? <laughs> Probably not. But... You could have spent last offseason instead of coming into this offseason now where everything's kind of on the line here. Because what are you going to do if you miss this year? Yeah, you're pretty I much think, after in the A. Yeah, you're, you're, you're shit out of luck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and let, let's take a look at the free agent class. It's not that great. All of the big names have already been taken off the board due to extensions. You know, so we're talking about a team right now where arguably – he, the one guy, the, the centerpiece of your Chris Sale deal, you know, the, the Kickstarter, the whole rebuild, is kind of entering that prime of his career. This is where he should be on a competitive team. You know, you've got most of your pieces up to the major league at this point. You've got maybe two or three guys that haven't reached it yet who are still in that, like, top 100 discussion in Vaughn, Madrigal, and Robert. And all of those guys could be maybe Vaughn two years away, but all of those guys should be all here next year. And everybody else, that other that other second tier of White Sox prospects, it's not looking great. It's not looking great at all. No. You know? And I think you may be jumping the gun talking Andrew Vaughn there, uh, just interjecting a little bit. Um, we've seen how slow uh, that they've been babying some of these guys. And um, I, I just don't know if it's realistic for him to jump all the way up to the big league club at some point next year. We saw how they were hesitant to bring up uh, Luis Robert, Nick Madrigal. Meanwhile, Juan Soto, a 20-year-old, uh, isn't fatigued, playing for the Washington Nationals as I'm watching right now in the NLCS. So um, I, you know, that may be negative 90 coming out, but, um, you know, who, who knows how long it'll even take before you see um, Nick Madrigal. I think Luis Robert's your only lock to get up as soon as that service time BS is done. Right. Yeah, I I don't I don't disagree with that, you know, it, and it's kind of it's kind of almost bullshit that he's got to go through that little service time period. Guy was an absolute monster in AAA this year, absolute monster. Should have been in the big league. Should should have been in the big leagues in about June. So, again, missed opportunities, man. I don't want to say this year was a total failure, but I think I think looking back on it. I'm still as frustrated as I was watching it the whole way through, and I think it was, I think it was a, a pretty big miss by the White Sox to put something together that would be competitive and still within their window. You know what? What are we? What are we doing with the money that was that was saved this year? It doesn't do anything for us next year. It could have been on the payroll then. So you know, and I think Rick Hahn has really backed himself into a corner where he has to deliver. And one of the things that I'm especially afraid of is overspending to change the narrative on guys that you don't need to overspend on. Yeah, I will add one comment in. Uh, 
I know that there's a lot of backlash to this and people say it doesn't exist, but I think there is a sock sucks, t- sock suck tax. So they are going to have to overpay no matter who it is. That's a good point. Whether it's an Ozuna, Puig, yes. Cassianos, one of the, I mean, Wheeler, you know, one of those. I, guys, I yeah. legitimately do. I, I hate to say it. And I hate that our franchise is the one that's pegged as that, but overall it's not, an extremely sexy destination. You can you can't sell your prospects that highly. I mean, I know Yohan Moncada and Tim Anderson had some unbelievable seasons, and Lucas Giolito as well. But it's I think it's still a tough sell, even with the position that we're in right now, and with the money to spend. And I think you're no matter what, Tony. Uh, I know you talk about being worried about having to overspend. I think just to get anyone worthwhile, you're going <clears> to <throat> spend no matter what. Not if you trade for them. That's, yeah, that's, so that's the another, only other that's option. Thing. What about the Jack Peterson trade that fell through? Hell, that would have been nice to have him locked down an outfield spot and I'd have to see John Jay not to see as much Charlie Tilson or Ryan Cordell this year. Um, that would have been one. And I really hope that they do because, like Tony had said, the free agent pool isn't, you know, last year was literally a unicorn year. We're going to call it that because those two guys in their prime um, at that age with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, then obviously there were decent ads elsewhere throughout the league. You talked about who the Twins had added. Um, it's not not that same depth this year. Um, there's still some nice players out there that you go and get. I think Zach Wheeler has been a name that has been thrown around heavily on White Sox Twitter, and I, I wouldn't mind that. We saw him throw, we saw him throw um, against the White Sox and be very effective uh, at a game in, I believe, early, very early August. Um, but just overall, um, <laughs> there's going to have to be a little bit of overspending in free agency for what you do, and then I think some of these prospects need to be moved um, if you're legitimate about competing next year. Now, who knows what the actual goal is? Um, Tony had written a great article about it throughout the year, about what's the White Sox goal and accountability throughout the organization that kind of stemmed from the Ricky comments about looking at the numbers and yada, yada. Um, And then, you know, the goal was to be 500 or whatever it was. So um, what's the goal and how do you achieve it? And can you be savvy uh, and make some trades and, and not hoard the prospects too much? I think, you know, some guys' values are already declining. I would say Mike Rodolfo, Luis Basabi, um, they shot their value in the foot this year. Jake Berger, uh, Dane Dunning. Yep, J- yep. The, both those guys. I mean, granted, Dunning uh, is on the Tommy John recovery. Um, but Zach still, Birdie. Yeah, they're not, they're not as shiny as they once were. Once were. Well, there's a lot to prove. You know, there's a lot to prove this upcoming offseason, and I'm here for the ride. You know, I mean, I, I'm a, a guy that some people do talk about, but you don't hear a lot because he's not, you know, you just can't Google who's going to be a free agent, obviously, and who's going to opt out. But a guy that I've always kind of been interested in wishing the Sox could have, you know, got is Steven Strasburg if he decides to opt out, opt out this year. I'm just, if I got overpaid to get some pitching, I mean, it's not like our payroll's insanely huge next year. Wasn't it like 20 million? What was it for next year so far on the via, books? Via Spotrack, it is um, 23,000. Yeah, I was close. Yeah, no, $23,833,333. So you That's have a lot of money to spend. On the books next year. Yeah. yeah, you have a lot of money to spend here. And I mean, it, maybe this was maybe this was their window. Maybe this was it. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm not there. I'm not. In, I'm not. Yeah. So, that, but maybe, obviously, maybe this was it. obviously, do, you do have to take. Sorry, Buzz, I mean to cut you off, but you do have to take into consideration okay. uh, guys that will get arb arb deals. Too. Right. So right. those will add up before the you know uh, the free agent process really opens. Yeah, and you, I mean, you know, you got to pay Jose too. Do you? 
You got to give him something, right? Or are you not bringing him back? If you were bringing him back, don't you think you would have brought him back by now? Oh, well, I don't know, man. Sure, because... If they were 100% certain they were bringing Jose Abreu back. Would well, that deadline, I'll tell you something right now. Jose played that game really, really well. And this is something that you've seen happen in, in other sports as well. Not often, but you've seen it happen and you've seen it play out. Jose wasn't happy that he didn't get a contract extension by the contract extension deadline. We all know this here. We all wrote about it. We've all talked about it, correct? When you go yes. and you're the front you're the front page of the Trib and the Sun-Times and you're all over the goddamn place because Jerry said you're going to be a White Sox for life. Mm-hmm. That is when White he Sox sealed his rabbit. ticket to be back next year. If there's one thing that Jerry Reinsdorf is, he's loyal to his employees. Yeah, for better or for worse, he is. Exactly. And with that being said, and that coming from his mouth and being put out into the press and never being disputed by the White Sox organization that that was never said, yes, you're going to see Jose Abreu back in a White Sox uniform. Frank Thomas was told he would be a White Sox forever. Frank Thomas did a lot of – he's held on such a pedestal. I love Frank. He was a great player. Frank had a lot of issues. He had a lot, a lot of issues that will be into a podcast in another day if we ever want to break that shit down. Jose did it the right way to remain where he wanted to be. Oh, I'm telling you, the guy's going to be White Sox first baseman next year. On an episode of, I believe it was a Shy Sox Weekly, and when we had talked about when all that stuff was kind of circulating, was Jose Abreu utilizing the media to his advantage, exactly what you just talked about, Buzz. I think it's skillful on his part. Good for Absolutely. him. Uh, if you're just talking about maneuvers uh, using PR tactics to your advantage, hell, good for Jose. I mean, shit, franchises do it. You know what I mean? They, I'm, yeah, exactly. You know, so I mean, it, I can't blame a player for doing it. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I don't know who his agent is, but I want to hire him for myself. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to get me, but he seems like a smart guy. I get you a pat on the ass and a good job. Yeah, there you go. Good job, Tony. <laughs> good job, Joan. <clears throat> but I mean, I, I, I truly believe you see him. But I mean, regardless, regardless of the ARB and all that shit, there's a lot of money to spend. The money will be spent. So let's see what happens. Will it? I, that's part of our burning question that will come up later um guys before i know we we've had a good discussion here but um i do want to stick a little bit to this and just uh get back into the actual events that unfolded this season we're gonna go good and then our favorite moments and then bad and then some of the worst moments uh from our perspective does that sound uh sound like a plan here oh yeah oh absolutely Alrighty, uh, good. We had mentioned it. Timmy, uh, batting champ, 335 average, 3.5 F4 this year. Uh, Yohan Mankata, I put this in here in our notes. He will be a perennial all-star. There's no doubt in my mind. 5.7 F4. Um, he had a 141 weighted uh, runs created plus. That's outstanding. Uh, and then Eloy finally put it together down the stretch. You know, when healthy uh, without the distractions or the, um, you know, family issues that he had to take care of, Buzz, like you had mentioned. Uh, Lucas Giolito. Yeah. <laughs> Luke, guys asking for his beer uh, beer order from the left field bleachers um, you know stuff like that but then uh, Lucas Giolito man uh, the turnaround is just unbelievable perhaps one of the best in baseball history uh, 3-4-1 ERA this year 32.3 uh, K rate and uh, 5.1 F4 on the season uh, hats off to Lucas Giolito for that and then uh, another note that I put in here because you know I'm a big Jace Fry fan and I thought he was going to be the one to kind of be this lefty specialist type of guy Aaron Bummer out of nowhere uh, kind of in my opinion uh, Andrew Kinsler and I back during spring training of 2018 
I believe we'd always said, oh, man, it's a bummer that bummer's coming in because you just did not look good, did not look effective. And he totally changed that narrative this year. Um, he, he was one of your most solid arms out of the pen. Hell, he's getting talked about as being a potential closer if Alex Calme is not around because some people you know, may not want to hang on to him and they reference the numbers and whatever. So uh, Aaron Bummer, that was my other good. Um, you guys, fire away with any other uh, ones that I missed there before we get into favorite moments. I hate to say it, but James McCann, man. Um, yeah, biggest another... free agent. <laughs> biggest free agent. Plus, he's already laughing. He didn't expect that one coming out of my mouth. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. That's why. 2.3 F floor for James McCann no, this year. And, and your fairness before you finish. I'm sorry. Before you finish, I mean, cut you off. But, I mean, dude, you had every right to write what you did and to think what you did when the White Sox acquired him. Johnny, I think you can agree with that. I, I really do oh, feel yeah. like I... you had every right to, to feel that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't like some people were like, really, like, you know, it was Yasmani Grandal or bust for them. I saw that, you know, back towards the end of last offseason. Um, but I mean, I at least thought the defense was going to be there, but I thought he was going to be right around his average career average for hitting wise. And he he blew the doors off of that. Yeah, I mean, in, in my my line of thinking with that was, you know, he was doing something that was so out of the norm for his career. And it was easy to get there via the stats. You know, you just go look at everything. And the runners in scoring position, you know, the, the hits didn't seem very timely. And they weren't. They, they were, they were you know, two out singles and then he gets stranded. Or, you know, a two out double. Or, you know, bases empty. All the time it was just bases empty for weeks upon weeks. And I'm like, how is this guy up over 300 right now? This doesn't make any sense to me. I dug in, I looked at everything, and I go, there is no way in hell that this could possibly continue throughout the entire year. And there was some regression. There was some regression. Oh, after the All-Star break, yeah. Yeah, after the All-Star break. But he earned his All-Star appearance, I'll give him that. Oh, yeah. He he was the best catcher that the White Sox have had since A.J. Pruszynski. And, you know, I think it was a great off-season pickup because I think there's one other portion to this that nobody's really talked about. And that's that Sebi Zavala and Zach Collins, I know Zach Collins reached the majors and Sebi had a few stints up here. Neither of those guys did what they were supposed to do. And that was come up here and challenge Wellington Castillo and James McCann for the starting catcher role. And whether that be for lack of offensive prowess or defensive ability, game calling, whatever it may be, those guys did not take the steps that we thought that they were going to take when 2018 ended. And so here we were left with Wellington Castillo and James McCann, who I honestly thought was going to be a DFA candidate by May because I expected one of the two of those guys to come up here and get their shot. Well, that they, they kind of blew that. And now you had a guy who was overperforming starting to become a fan favorite and also turning around Lucas Giolito. You know, some of some of the Lucas Giolito success has to go to James McCann for catching him this year and calling great ball games. Yeah, so absolutely. You you have to you have to take all that into account. And yeah, I think I'm comfortable with James McCann going forward here into next year. Yes, I'd love to see an addition at catcher and maybe McCann steps back into more of a a defensive role and you don't have to rely on the offense if you get it great. If it's not there, it's not as important, but for right now, 
you've got a guy that, you know, you're going to have some pretty high expectations for next year. Whether or not that plays into his favor remains to be seen. But, you know, it was it was a good year out of him, and I think he needs to be lumped in with the good. I agree with you. I got one yep. guy for the good because you guys pretty much touched on everybody. Um, I, I feel this guy got a lot of talk from us, but I really didn't see him pop up a lot elsewhere, and that was Evan Marshall. I thought that yes. he had a pretty good year. You know, I really did. I mean, if you look back at what he was doing before he came to the White Sox, I mean, just to go through tw- uh, in his two years um, in Arizona, he had a 6.08 ERA in 2015, 8.80 ERA in 2016, you know, 17 injury riddled season. He had six games, 9.39 ERA Cleveland uh, in 2018, 7.71 ERA. He comes here, appears in 55 games for us. And he shells out a 2.49 ERA, and he was worth a 1.8 F4. I, I give him a lot of credit for transforming himself and being an effective reliever out of our bullpen. Yeah, you know, I, 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 want... I was going to bring up Marshall, too. A uh, big fan of him, minor league signing. That's one you didn't really expect. Kind of a guy you see in spring training, and you think that he's probably just going to be a AAA guy all year. And uh, he, he really made a name for himself and that's a great story for him too because i don't know if you guys remember but back i believe when he was with the diamondbacks organization um he had taken a uh ball to the head um while while he was pitching one that came back at him so a nice comeback story there for evan marshall as well you know who else had a had a really quiet good year is yonder alonzo because he's sitting on the couch most of this year maybe getting some pinch hit at bats and he's still making almost eight million dollars from the white Sox to do absolutely nothing for them so kudos to you yonder. <laughs> there you go um let's see uh was there one more that i had um i think it was favorite moments now or something <laughs> yes yeah, so let's go into uh favorite moments of the season we're talking just on field uh occurrences for the white Sox guys we'll get into our favorite obviously we had a ton of fun at the ballpark and tailgating and all that good stuff, but we'll save the socks on tap portion for after um, the baseball portion of this. So baseball, white socks on the field, favorite moments, hit me with them. Go ahead, Tom. I was waiting for you, man. Oh, okay. Well then I'll, I'll lead it off then. Um, one of my favorite moments was uh, Lucas Giolito's complete game. I thought that that was, uh, it was probably one of my favorite moments. That was the, uh, the five inning one, just because he looks so crisp. And I really thought that he could probably, you know, just go through the whole game and, and make it happen. So that was probably one of my favorite moments. My other favorite moment. And I know a lot of people are going to say this one, but it has to be on the baseball field. Eloy hitting the home run at Wrigley. Yes. That's um, the first one I put underneath the notes. I know you guys didn't get this draft of the uh, rundown because I just added it last minute, but that was literally the first one I typed buzz. Yeah. That, that was probably my favorite moment from the season because i think that was after and i kind of bringing a little bit of socks on tap into it um but i think that was like my favorite on the ball moment because that's like when i finally had enough of cubs fans in in general and i lost my mind on one of the socks on taps about it which i usually don't do often but it was right after that and uh just sealing that game and 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 you want to talk about the story about being on a baseball field a highly touted prospect for the cubs organization comes over in the jose quintana trade and then goes back you know to wrigley not that he was ever up with them, or you know what I mean, though. Going to Wrigley and then just knocking the shit out of that ball and Benetti's call. And, I mean, that was one that kind of made the yep. hair on your arm stand. So I think that he's, was probably – He's your hero tonight. Hell yeah. yeah that, that's probably – I hope that makes a ballpark mix, uh, the future, uh, you know, oh, ballpark that, mix. That's the 
first died first soundbite i'm gonna be saving so i don't know when they'll be used within it off these strategically but yeah it'll be in there yeah i would have to say it's probably one of my favorite moments if not my favorite tony uh you know just sticking on the eli theme i think the home run he hit to the fan deck you know Mm -hmm. that was just so majestic um you know not to bring in more out of the uh you know, the just on the field stuff, but we were there for that game. And man, I, I can't remember really seeing a ball massacred like that ever before. And, you know, just being at the ballpark there and, and just watching it go, it just felt like it was never going to land. It was just, it was one of the yeah. swings I've ever seen. And so, it looks effortless too. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, just going back overall, I think my favorite moment was just the, the campaign that Eloy put together because it started out so slow, Johnny. You know, we, we talked about it so much. Like, why can't our guys just put it together? And you kind of wondered if he was going to go through this entire year and really be, not to say disappointing, but just underwhelming. And, Perfect you know, some of those home runs that just started to pile up, you know, I think that uh, each and every one of them just, it started to solidify it more and more. This guy's going to be an absolute monster. Um, so that that really sticks out. I mean, obviously, I can't really compete with the uh, the the Eloy home run at Wrigley um, as like a moment there because Buzz already took it, and I know you wrote it down. Um, but there are a few other ones that that stuck out. The uh, the double header against yes. at Houston. Um, that was the second one I wrote down. <laughs> yeah, the double header against Houston where. You come in there and you take those games from them. It was just a ride high moment and a great night to be a White Sox fan. Um, you know, I'm trying to pick out ones where we weren't there. We were there a whole damn lot this year. So, you know, that was cool to see in person as well. But, man, it, you look at what Houston's doing right now. And we've seen to have their number, you know, when it comes to, to playing these guys. And I know we locked out a little bit in, in game two. But, man, it, that lineup. It's so dangerous, and to see the Sox shut him down, just a, a very ride-high moment, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Good good ones for both of you guys. Uh, you had a couple of them that were on my list, but I do have a few more here that I just wanted to gloss over. Um, one that I actually wasn't there for, but uh, Tony, I believe you and Andrew Kinsler were both out there. Another doubleheader, July 3rd, against the uh, Detroit Tigers, and that was Dylan Cease's first start got the win in game one during the day game. And then in the night game, uh, the White Sox had an extra innings walk-off and Yohan Moncada absolutely massacred a ball to tie it up uh, because they had felt fallen behind in the extra innings. And I believe it was in the 10th that Yohan Moncada hit the game-tying home run. And then Jose Ruiz comes out, um, not a name that I would have expected, but he comes down and just throws, you know, he just strikes out the side for the Tigers and then uh, Jose Abreu comes up and launches it to win it, walk off. So, that, I mean, that that was, I think, Tony, when we had, um, you know, we, we talked to Pete a lot, uh, Pete Hand, and uh, I think when he was on the Shy Sox Weekly, he had said that kind of felt like a turning point in the rebuild. So I think from more than just the on-field uh, aspect of it itself, I think just in the grand scheme of things, we're going to look back on that as, wow, these guys are, you know, here and they're going to be the real deal. So um, th- that was one moment that I wanted to point out. And then, uh, Tony, you- you'd kind of hinted at it with the Astros series there, but strong showings against both the Yankees and the Astros. Eloy hitting his uh, first two major league bombs in the Bronx. Um, that was pretty sweet. And then um, I believe, yeah, we took the season series from him. 
uh, from the Yankees. And then, uh, obviously, that Astros series, we, we swept them at home. And Lucas Giolito, didn't he have a complete game in Houston as well? I believe close, he did. Close to uh, it. Yeah, he, he, he did throw a very impressive performance there. That was on the heels, I believe, of a, uh, an impressive performance against Minnesota as well. Yeah, and that's just the kind of shit that makes you believe because, like you had said, those are potent lineups. Those are obviously the teams playing in the ALCS right now. So uh, it gives you some hope that, hey, even with a team like this, imagine what we can do against them when we have more reinforcements. Yeah, I've got I've got one more here, too, and this kind of falls along the line of my favorite type of baseball, and that's weird baseball. There was the 15-inning marathon uh, game at Philly where you just saw just about everything. Um, I can't even try and recap this, but this game goes 15 innings. You've got pitchers playing the outfield. You've got all sorts of just baseball craziness. The Sox battled that game. You, you had no idea who was going to end up winning this. But I remember White Sox Twitter just all coming together during that game. And one the of the boys guys were buzzing up, that night. Yeah. <laughs> The one of the guys I was talking to was Penals from uh, over at Sox Machine because earlier in the year he talked about you know he doesn't like seeing the D or he doesn't like seeing the pitchers hit, and mm. one of the things in that game that was really fun was watching how these guys kind of navigated their bullpens without the ability to you know have a DH in there for these pitchers as this game goes 15 innings you saw some of the craziest shit. It was, it was just phenomenal to watch. Um, you know, and he was, he even messaged me and he's like, man, that was one of the funnest games I've ever seen. You know, I, I get where your arguments coming from as far as why you like that style of play in the NL where, where you get some of this craziness, but you know, that was, it was just such a fun game to watch. I'm so happy that the White Sox came out on top of it because it was, it, well, it did become kind of national media attention a little bit there when you get a crazy game like that. You know, it's one of the highlights on on Sports Center and all the sports shows across the country. You get to see that, and especially against a team like Philadelphia, who did have a lot of national attention this past year um, with all their free agent signings and all their offseason moves and everything. And to come out on top of that one, that was that was just awesome. Yeah. I agree, man. I, Tony, I think you and I, we did the post-game show that night. Pretty sure we started recording that thing at like 1.45 in the morning. Yeah, it was it was a blast. <laughs> yeah, I was 100% tie-tie and uh, probably probably already just, zonked. You, you probably fell asleep in the seventh inning. Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah, you'd even see the, the Chaw, um, you know, RBI single tied up in the top of the ninth inning. Yeah, just crazy stuff unfolded from there, like you had said. Uh, outfielders pitching. Uh, for the Phillies and just ridiculous Carson Fulmer almost ripping a double down the line and a great play I think it was Rendon over there <laughs> or no not, sorry those I keep I, I don't know why the hell I mixed oh no two Carson up, but, Carson yeah. Fulmer in that game he did something I think he may have hit the double and then came out injured no it was no he it was down the it was down the line and when he was running down the line because he, he like he smoked it so it was hit really hard down the line it would have been a double if it weren't for a great diving stop and then running down the line he like tweaked his back or something or maybe, actually I think it was a hamstring. But, Carson yeah, Fulmer, I mean, either baby. way, it was just it was. I mean, the greatest moment of Carson Fulmer's career, but <laughs> um, it was just such a fun game to watch. And you know, games like that will stick out to you. Um, it didn't really have any meaning outside of just that that game, but it had to be one of like the most yeah. fun I've had watching. I, 
baseball. I like I like the interleague stuff too, Tone. I think that environment, obviously, you'd mentioned for all the craziness that can happen with the pitchers hitting. Um, and I tend to generally side more with the penals and you know just with the number side of it and the pitchers generally being bad hitters. But it is great when you do get to see a circus game like that. And then um, you know how the the it it alternates with the divisions that you play. So obviously this year we matched up against the uh, NL East. So I think it's cool, you know, uh, kind of having a game like that against a team like the Phillies. It's random. You're not going to play them until for what, another three years now. Um, but when we do play them again, we're going to look back on this one and be like, oh yeah, you remember that crazy marathon 15 inning thing uh, back in 2019? So yeah, I'm with you. Uh, de- definitely one of uh, my favorite moments of the year as well. Um, Big moments right. from uh, from Matt Skull in that game as well too. Yeah, Shaw, Shaw, baby. Um, all right, guys, uh, we we hit the good. Unfortunately, uh, we got to get to the bad too. Um, I'm just going to lead right into it. And then if you guys have anything else, just like we did for the good piled on afterward, um, Patrick starting pitching. I think, uh, we had hinted at that earlier. Odrisa Mertespagne, Irvin Santana, um, you know, just those likes of guys, Manny Benuelos in there. Um, it resulted in some really, really bad games for the white Sox and ones that make you lose faith in this whole thing. So, uh, I'll leave it at that. Another one for me, I put in the bad, but I think it could be kind of an in-between. Uh, I put Reynaldo Lopez, is inconsistency um, because he still finished with a 2.3 F war when you're looking at the fan graphs page here, but he was just so inconsistent with it. And he had that nice stretch, like right after the all-star break when he said he was going to be better, but then he fell back off. And I only put this in here because if before the season you had made me pick one, Lucas Giolito or Ronaldo Lopez, who would be the guy that steps up and has the type of year that Lucas Giolito did. I would have put Reynaldo Lopez there because he's the power pitcher. He's got the, you know, technically better stuff outside the changeup. Um, so that was just kind of, uh, I would have liked to see, you know, both those guys hit. Imagine if both of those guys were really going this year. That would have been, I think we're talking about different win uh, total here in this episode of Socks on Tap. But anyway, uh, Kelvin Herrera is another part of the bad. Um, man, you're paying this guy, what, like eight point something million um, that I'd have to pull it up. Yeah, eight point five. You're paying him, and after April, like I said, I think injuries had a little bit to do with that. But shit, that's a lot to pay for a bullpen piece that ain't getting it done. Uh, Jace Fry fell off big time this year from what he did in uh, 2018, so that was disappointing for me since I'm a fan of him in general. Uh, Carson Fulmer, um, just making that draft in 2015 look even worse and hurt even more. Um, the Ricky, I don't look at the numbers debacle. Uh, Han, some fans want to see the rebuild fail on the White Sox talk podcast. Uh, the Charlotte playoff bullshit that they kept promoting uh, towards the end of August. And we kind of, you know, parodied that over on Char Nights Weekly. So um, that was just a distraction from what was going on on the south side, which was some bad baseball at the time. And then uh, underwhelming September call-ups. I had mentioned it. No Madrigal, no uh, Luis Robert, and no even Yerman Mercedes throws a bone type of one. And then, um, obviously, this is after the season now, but the Jerry finish in second place every year, alleged comments surfacing. So um, anything else you want to throw on there for the bad? No, I think you hit all of it. We spent the whole second half of the year talking about bad. Um, Specific games in my mind, one comes to mind right off the bat, and that was the Manny Banuelos against the Boston Red Sox. Yes. uh, Started home. Nightmares. That was a terrible game. Um, I have PTSD from that still. Yeah, I bet <laughs> I, that that was just garbage. But everything that you just mentioned, you know, and just to add on to a couple things, 
our DH spot at one point. I, I can't remember if it finished the finished this way or not, but I mean, I know towards the end of the season, this was the case that the New York Mets pitching staff batting was better than the White Sox DH stats batting. Yeah, I think we need a follow up on that from um, Jeremy Frank MLB Random Stats on Twitter because I believe that was mid July that he had put that out. Yeah, I mean that was just absolutely unbelievable at any point in the season of that happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, you pretty much touch on everything that I would want to say that was bad. Um, you know, I, and what really sucks too, is, is that Ronaldo in the second half of the year came out pretty strong, you know, after he made those comments, I felt like every start that he had in the second half that we, we would call, you know, he had a few bumps in the road, obviously after, after that, but like for the first, like four or five starts after the all-star break, he looked pretty good. Um, but yeah, just the inconsistency of him was very underwhelming, very annoying, but yeah, you pretty much hit on everything, Nani, anything that I was going to say. Tom, um, I've got a bunch of them. Um, you know, just, uh, going to rattle them off here first. Number one, zero was never able to dig himself out of a hole in the desert for like the first half of the season. So it took a while for John Jay to show up. I'm pretty sure he was he was stuck searching for some sort of gold or something. Um, yeah, Mid-July in Boston. Yeah, so you, you you went out and signed John Jay to, to eat up a roster spot for pretty much the entire year. Um, Daniel Polka was really bad, um, especially to start the year. And, you know, I, I really felt for this guy all year. You know, it just with the 2018 that he had and all the promise and being a fan favorite and the spotlight being on him. I'm so glad that he finished the year the way that he did. I don't know if he's going to be a part of this team going forward, but it's good to see him go out with uh, kind of a bang. But, you know, you expected to see a lot of, you know, Polk smashes this year and you didn't get any, you know, you, you really didn't get any until the end. And I, I just felt really bad for him all year long because the performance just wasn't there. Um, you already mentioned Carson Fulmer and Odrisa Mertespanya and all the all the bad pitching and everything, but uh, if you go into that just a little bit further, um, the rotation itself really didn't have a stopper outside of Lucas Giolito. Um, there was there was way too many losing streaks. Uh, I think back to the the time I believe we got swept by Kansas City, um, and I'm pretty sure we even had four game sweep at Kansas a four City. game sweep at Kansas City, and I'm pretty sure Giolito was even involved in that. Um, so too many, too many sweeps. Um, AJ Reed, um, just was an abysmal pickup. Um, I know you're trying to take a chance on a guy who was an excellent college player and somebody that the Astros had, had thought highly of. He thought that that was going to be some sort of savvy move. It kind of messed with, I believe the, uh, the mojo of this team coming out in the second half. So that was, I think really, really bad. Um, what else, man? There was there was just a lot of it. Eli Jimenez's defense at times was scary at best. Um, we saw too many injuries. We saw the elbow thing. We saw him run into a wall. Um, saw him run into Charlie Tilson. Saw him run into Charlie Tilson. Um, so the defense wasn't exactly where I wanted it to be. I know that uh, he's not here to really play stellar defense, um, but it's got to it's got to improve. I, I think it did a little bit towards the end, but there's still some some shaky moments. Um, Eloy Jimenez not waving to you when, when you waved him. I think that was pretty disappointing. And um, I'm trying to think what else was, was bad this year. There was, there was a, there was a fair amount of bad. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I want to dig into some of this other stuff that you had on the list here because we really haven't talked since those Jerry comments came out. Um, and I, I think that that deserves at least a few minutes of our of our time here. So, yeah, I'll give the uh, backdrop here. Um, what was his name? Mark Sampson. Is that it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So is it? Mark, it was, I, I don't know. It's Samson. Samson. It might be Samson's else. the last. I forget. But whatever. On Dan Lebitard's podcast, uh, Samson was a former executive of the Marlins, I believe, from 2002 to 2017. And uh, Samson had gone on this podcast and said that, you know, back in whatever, the early 90s or so, Jerry Reinsdorf told him, you know, finish in second place every year. So your fan base always thinks there's just one more step to take. You can still dangle that carrot out in front of them as a paraphrase of what he'd said. Um, and then Blackjack McDowell on Facebook, the official page of him. It's not someone who just had the profile and whatever did some confirming on this. It is Blackjack's page. And he had said, Jerry Reinsdorf said the same thing to my face. So even if you want to discredit Samson and uh, his track record and all the lawsuits that he's had against him and only got the job because he, you know, married into yada yada family or whatever, whatever the story is behind him that, you know, Steve Stone and the likes will use to discredit Samson. Um, Blackjack, former White Sox player, former White Sox ace confirm this uh, i granted it's on a facebook comment but that's how people communicate nowadays via social media so um i mean i can't say i'm shocked guys i'm definitely not shocked i mean you know it, it i guess it makes sense you know um especially i mean just so odd and weird that black jack mcdowell got on that you know and, and even commented to confirm it but i mean i think that this is something that you know i'm not going to try to turn into a silver lining thing don't don't worry but this is this is something that i think is good that this has been made public knowledge and the reason i say that is just kind of how jose abreu played up the media to you know his credit maybe this is something that really strikes a nerve within the white Sox organization to make jerry you know do something and uh it upsets me. You know, I mean, you sit there and you try to have, like you just mentioned, Johnny Steve Stone, you try to have a conversation with the guy. If you say one negative thing, you're going to get crucified in the middle of the G rate. And he's just going to put you on blast on Twitter, you know, because, you know, I'm in the game every day. I do this. So, you know, you're just completely discrediting people that go and spend their money like you guys to go to the games. I mean, I hit the most White Sox games I ever hit this year. I went to 14 games this year very fortunate I was able to do that. It was most I've ever been to in a year. But the fact that you have a bunch of water carriers in the organization that are saying that, but this became such a, <laughs> a, a big news topic locally here in Chicago is huge. And I think that might be able to pay up to our credit, but I'm not shocked that he said it. I mean, I could be mad and I could be pissed off or whatever, but I'm not because I'm not shocked that the guy said it, you know, they struck gold and they won championships with Jordan. 2005 White Sox were, was one of the best teams ever, in my in my opinion. Of course, there's a little homerism in there, but they were. Def- World definitely champion. the best playoff team ever. Yeah, yeah, right. So, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, hopefully this plays to our favor. If not, we're still going to be the dumbasses that go out there and fucking go support it because we can't let our loyalty go to waste. But, yeah, it pisses me off royally because – two of my favorite teams in Chicago. I mean, obviously I'm a big bears fan, but obviously the Chicago bulls and Chicago white Sox are my, my cup of tea. And 
he owns both of them. So I just have to sit here and put my head down and hope and pray that he does something, you know, that this story coming out does something to change it. Yeah. And to me, this is almost a, a little bit of uh, the same stuff that we saw when the White Sox failed to sign Manny Machado. And when I, when I go to that, what I'm trying to get to is the aftermath of this and the statements that came out from the White Sox. Jerry Reinsdorf's official statement said, I have no recollection of saying that. Well, of course you don't, because I don't know what I told people 10 freaking years ago. I have no idea if that's exactly what came out of 30 years ago. Yeah. I mean, depending on when this was said, I don't know if it was early 1990s or if it it was was 2000s or whatever. But of course you have no recollection of it. How about you come out and say, I did not say that or... Yes, yeah. I did say well, that, and I'm going, I, I, you know, and I don't believe that currently. At that point in time in my ownership, that's what I believed. I take responsibility for saying that. I'm here to win championships now, and my track record since then, in 2005, we came out, we won a championship, and that's what we're here to do now. Not this, oh, I, I don't remember saying that. You know, that's what you that's what you tell, you know, your, you know, mom and dad when you're in trouble. I, I don't remember doing that. It's, it's a lie. You can tell it's a lie. And that's the warrior defense. I said that you know, immediately like, when oh, those you know, came out. You know, it's the same thing when, you know, you go and you fail to sign Manny Machado. And there's all this like, well, you know, we thought our offer was It's You're backing yourself into a corner and you're giving the fans more ammo. You know, I'm sitting here with more ammo than, you know, just be transparent, be a little honest about it or flat out deny it. And say that didn't happen. Samson's a piece of shit. I don't trust that guy. Nobody trusts that guy. Whatever. But taking that middle ground and being like, well, I don't have any recollection of saying that, it opens it up to interpretation and it gives it a gray area. And I think that's where you go with the the, the lawyer defense. Is now there's so much gray area around it, and the Sox have just completely failed to address it ever since. It's like here's our piece on this. We're gonna let this go, and that doesn't give me any faith that a you're trying to correct the problem. Or B, that you even care that it existed in the first place because you're taking the easy out. I don't want them to take the easy outs in this. You continue to take the easy outs on and off the field. We're going to be talking about the same team over and over again every single year like we have been because we haven't been to the playoffs in God knows how long. I want to see some accountability. And if that's the direction that you get out of the owner of the organization, you know, the 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 no accountability – how is Rick Hahn held accountable? How is Kenny Williams held yeah. accountable? How is Ricky Rodriguez held accountable? It'll stem downward no matter what the organizational, uh, you know, stance is. Yeah, shit, shit flows downhill. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, that's exactly what it is, and that's a problem. You know, that's a top-down problem. Johnny, I think going back to, you know, conversations that we've had with Pete and just between you and I, it, it's, it's almost like the same, uh, the Blackhawks, you know, with the Wirtz family. It's like, when's the old man going to croak it so we can finally get a change around here? We shouldn't have to yeah. be dealing with that. If if the organization right now is serious about this rebuild, serious about contending, you know, it goes back to what I said this year. There was a perfect opportunity on the table for you to supplement this roster and go win. So you didn't do it last year. What kind of faith do I have that you're going to do it this year? Now, that's not to say that they're not going to go and do it or they're not going to go out and spend money or, or, or try and, and make this team better and that this core isn't something that can be special. But what it says is that, you haven't taken things seriously enough in the past, so why do I believe and give you the benefit of the doubt of it now? 
You know, this yeah. is it just plays right back into the narrative that, you know, Jerry's cheap. It plays right back into the narrative that, you know, you talked about. There's a sock suck tax. Who wants to come to the organization if the owner is out there saying, I want to finish second every year? How did you know? And we didn't even really get into yeah. that when we talk about going out and signing free agents. You know, say you go and make a pitch to Garrett Cole. Hey, come here and be our ace. What's the last big national news media story about the White Sox right now? It's that Jerry Reinsdorf would rather finish in second place. And whether or not it's true or it's completely falsified, the answer yep. that you gave back is I don't have a recollection of saying that. So there, that, that to me, yeah. you know, you want to talk about making this a free agent destination? That's really, really, really bad right now. That's a bad look. It's really, really difficult to go and sign a star player or even a second tier player because they can go out and get the same money in, you know, LA who's going to hire maybe Joe Madden or whoever and, and, you know, go play with Mike Trout and actually go and try and win something because there's not the stigma and you've just added to the stigma. And now it's going to make it even harder on a guy like Rick Hahn to go out and, and sign a savvy deal because now he's got to pay even more or prove to these guys that we're serious about winning. And it starts, it's a domino effect. Once you start getting one or two of these guys in, it does make it more attractive. But you've so far failed to even sign one of those guys that's going to make it even look like you're trying to win at this point in time, so you're already behind the eight ball. Yeah, Tony, I was going to say, scorching hot start to the offseason with this, and I think you bring up a great point that hasn't really been addressed, at least I haven't seen it, maybe it has been, but... When you're talking to these free agents and stuff, they're, they're them and their agents are both looking at each organization that is courting them. And whether or not this whole Jerry thing is true, whether, you know, he's the one that's uh, right about it or Samson was actually telling the truth and Blackjack is, you know, confirmed it and, and that's true, whether or not it's true or not. It's out there, and that is going to be one of the first things they see. So I think that's a great point to bring up, and um, unfortunately, it makes me have you know even less faith. Here, here's my next. Here's my next here. thing. If I'm an agent, here's my next thing. First thing I'm coming to to Rick Hahn, and I'm asking him about the Jerry comments. Second thing I'm going to ask him is, what was the deal with Yonder Alonso? You you traded for this guy, you brought him in here, and you said to the media, to everybody, that he was here for baseball reasons, and then. You, you cut him right before his charity event. So how can I trust that my client is going to be treated fairly if he starts the season poorly? That's my next question for Rakan. You've had a few different little PR nightmares that have come through just this year alone that makes this look like a rocky destination. You think Yonder Alonso is out there telling people, hey, the White Sox, class, organ class act organization, had a good time there. It's my fault that I was let go. I don't think so. You know, we saw it last offseason with Manny Machado. He even referenced John Shea and Yonder Alonso as part of the reason that he signed with the San Diego Padres. These players talk. They're in a union together. I know they compete on the field all the time, but they're looking out for each other's interest, where to go to get money, where to go spend your time, where to bring your family to. You know, it's just, it's the same thing. You know, you talk to people every day. You know, oh, it's really nice over in this city. We should all move here. That place is a great place to work. I recommend working there. It's the same thing. It's just in professional sports. And it's really hard to go in and, you know, sign a contract to go live somewhere, play somewhere, eat, breathe, you know, entertain, all that stuff in a city 
when you have these question marks. Do I want to go play for an organization that doesn't value winning? Do I want to go to an organization that um, will release you because it wasn't working out and they were using you as a pawn and not being upfront with you about it? You know, did did Yonder Alonso actually, uh, on his own will, go and call season ticket holders and promise them surprises? Or is that what Rick Hahn was telling him to do? Does he feel like a pawn? You know, this stuff leaks back. It goes through the players. We all know it does. It's not a good look. And I, I think I went full negative Nani right there. And it's really dangerous yep. when you go full negative Nani. But just, like you said, scorching hot start to the offseason. I I want to bring up one more thing that I think kind of got brushed over. We may have touched on it a little bit, just briefly in like one of our post-game shows or something like this. But Ivan Nova went on the White Sox Talk podcast with Chuck Garfine. And I believe this was back in mid-August, early August tone. And he had said that when choosing a destination or going, I know he was, uh, it was a trade that, um, or was it? Was he? Yeah, I think. He, yeah, it was a trade a trade that brought um, Ivan Nova here. Mm-hmm. And he had said that people from around the league, he didn't name names or anything like that. It was just kind of a comment that I missed it the first time. I had to go back and listen to it a second time to really catch this. Um, but he had said that people from around the league had said, no, you don't want to go to Chicago. You don't want to go play for the White Sox. That's alarming. That, that's, you know, stuff that also when you're talking about uh questions that agents ask or the stuff that these guys, these players are throwing around uh, back and forth off each other um, since they're all in the players union, that stuff's alarming and it just doesn't, it doesn't uh, install faith. It detracts from it actually. Well, I want to preface that statement with two different things. One, was he talking to Adam Eaton and two, <laughs> you know, we're just doing what Rick Hahn told everybody to do on the White Sox Talk podcast where he talked to about, you know, some people just want the rebuild to fail. And one of the things that Rick said was, you know, and they kind of even got into the podcasting thing. And I don't know if it was directly to he, you know, at us or some of the other podcasts that are out here, but he said he wanted people to look at the facts, evaluate them, and then give their opinions rather than just being reactionary. Well, guess what? There's a lot of stuff out there. We went through some of the facts here. We've made our opinions, and we're just spewing them back out. I don't think it's irrational. I don't think it's just, you know, getting a little bit of the information and then spewing it back out. This is what's been made publicly available to us, and we're formulating the opinions on it. Yep, I'm with you, Tone. Um, Buzz, you have any uh, words to close that out because we need to uh, move this thing along here? No, I agree with everything you all said, man. I mean, there's not really much else to elaborate on. All right, um, so that that was part of the bad uh, of this season. We did do a uh, favorite moments. Obviously, we elaborate on that a little bit more. Um, I'm just going to throw out worst moments. We don't need to get into them too much because we don't want to relive the pain. I think we've already had enough negativity right there. Um, Memorial Day weekend getting swept at Minnesota, swept in Atlanta, um, back-to-back walk-off losses at Seattle, um, getting swept in four games at um, Kansas City. Guys, sweeps suck because... But we're doing these post-game shows for Sox on Tap. You know, we hate talking about a loss. We say, okay, well, yeah, maybe we can get them tomorrow night and talk about ways that they can win keys to victory for the next game. And when it's loss after loss after loss after loss, then in the case of those four-game ones, 
then you almost feel like, you know, you just want to jump off a bridge at the end of the weekend. So um, th- th- that's why the sweeps really stood out there for me. And Buzz, I think you brought one great one up earlier. The Ben Walos nine straight hits against uh, Boston and Tony and I were both there for that. Uh, I wanted to rip my hair out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bad moments make me feel bad. And I, I, I want to end this on a good note, but yeah. Oh, we will. We'll, we'll get there. We still yeah. have to get our socks on tap moments. That's right. I just, yeah. I mean, as far as I think we touched on all the bad moments, at least I did. Uh, Tony, if you have anything else that you'd like to add, I, I think we touched on all, I touched I just, on all the bad just, moments. Any specific moment, Tony, that you need to add on to that? If not, we can just move along. You know, the Manny Banuelos thing, you know, the, the one game I brought my family to, we had a great tailgate before it. And then just coming in there, and it was like over before it even started. That was terrible. Um, you know, this one's this one's another really bad moment. So, um, and this is a little bit of off the field, but it'll go back on the field. Uh, I was with there with the family, uh, my kids, my wife, and uh, I really wanted a funnel cake. So I, I head down that little ramp, um, come back down in that left field corner, and I'm just emerging from the ramp and I see a fly ball, looks like it's going to be a home run, and Eli Jimenez is just sprinting back, and I hear the loudest thud that I've ever heard. And I'm just, I'm like literally standing there watching Eloy just go down. And that was the first injury of the year. And, you know, you see him just down for way too long, and I, I couldn't see what was going on. The fence is obviously in front of you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you see the training staff come out, I'm just like, Come on. And this was early in the game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah um, early. It was really game, early. It was, this was an April yeah. game. Yeah, this was this was an April, April game. game against the Tigers. It was the first game that I brought uh, the son to and, and my daughter to during the year. Um, and, you know, I'm waiting in line for the funnel cake and Eli's walking, walking back to the dugout limping. And I'm just like, shit, man, this is not going to be good. And, you know, I think that was really bad. But then seeing Timmy. Um, almost just destroy himself for the rest of the year in that rain game. I believe that was against Boston. Um, yeah, it was at Boston. You know, that was that was a pretty pretty low moment of the year as well for me. Um, you know, just injuries, man. Injuries, bugs are gonna bite everybody, but it just seemed to strike a lot of our core players. We really didn't have Moncada, Eloy, and Tim Anderson in the lineup until basically the end of the year. So I think that was another yeah. bad, worse, worse, long, long running moment uh, for the Sox. Yeah. yeah, that's one thing to add on to that. I had a, I was in the 149, so I had a straight view at it because I look, you know, right at the bullpen there, and um, I thought it, it was going to be season ending when he was down. Um, so I was actually relieved when he finally got up and was able to come off under his own power. Uh, obviously, the trainer's walking with him, but uh, that was a scary moment. And I remember I'd fired off a tweet and I was like, all right, you know, the um, the the sob party starts right now. White Sox Twitter and had everyone drop their gifts in <laughs> underneath the, the crying or upset gifts or angry, whatever. So, um, yeah, that, that was definitely a scary moment for sure. Um but yeah, uh, let's move it on, guys. Um, we're we're gonna do just some quick questions, uh, and then we're gonna go with best socks on tap moments, and uh, we'll close this thing out. So the questions that I have here, you think you guys have them in front of you too? I think I added in one or two more here, so I'll just roll through them, and then we can talk um, just briefly about some of these. Uh, will the money be spent? Obviously, that's the biggest one, big number one here. Uh, will what will Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal's adjustment periods look like? Um, what will Michael Kopech bring to the table coming back from Tommy John? 
Um, when does Carlos Rodon actually return? Will Cease find his composure and command because we know the stuff is there? And can this team compete next season? So will the money be spent? That's tough. Um, you know, you I already like... said it earlier in the in this podcast that the money was going to be spent, so I don't expect you to be a hypocrite. I didn't say the money was going to be spent. I you never did. I heard it. Roll the tape. I, I said that Rick Hahn said the money will be spent. Go ahead and roll the tape. I said they need to spend the money, which is what I said last night as well. I, wish, I, wish y'all I, could only, see I only expect the rewind. I expect the rewind, and I want the words, the money will be spent, coming out of Buzz's mouth right here. And that was by prior Rick Hahn said the money will be spent. I said I don't think they're going to go get Garrett Cole or Anthony Rendon. I don't remember you saying that. Oh, you're so I remember that. Shit. I remember you saying that. Yeah, thank you. I never said that the money was going to be spent. They're going to go get these guys. Um, I'd like to see the money be spent. If you put a gun to my head and ask me if the money is going to be spent, no, it's not going to be spent because I'm from Chicago, and this is what I live with through every one of my fucking sports teams. Besides the Bears getting Khalil Mack, I've got no leg to fucking stand on here. So, you know, I would like to see it be spent with my over-optimism. If I'm playing the show or 2K or something, I'm spending it. He's never he's never watched Stan Bowman operate. No, I no, I'd see I, I didn't get in I I didn't jump on that thing when that was going on. I I, I never grew up with, with hockey. I, I'm giving it a shot this year for you guys. I've watched every single Blackhawks game. I hope you're all proud of me. You'd be a really I'm big fan of a guy named Dale Talon. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Former Hawks GM. Oh, okay. He spends money. Good, good. He but, does um, spend money. But yeah, so I mean Again, gun to my head here. I don't think that they're going to go get anybody that's a world beater. So that's where the money will be spent part. But I hope they do, obviously. I really hope they do. Please prove me wrong. Uh, I'm going to go and say that the money's going to be spent. I don't think it's going to be spent the way that I want it to be spent, but it's going to be spent. It's going to give White Sox fans and White Sox Twitter a whole new reason to bitch and complain about something because that's what we love to do as White Sox fans. We are going to go out and we are going to spend Adam Dunn, Jeff Samarja type money. And I, I don't know if it's going to get us to where we need to be, but I, I can I can picture a future coming into this next season where we have spent ridiculous amounts of money for no apparent reason, no rhyme or reason. And it, it, it's it's going to be a better product, but it's going to be something that isn't exactly what we wanted. Um, so I do think that the money will be spent, just maybe not as wisely as we would hope. Uh, it wouldn't be negative, Nani, without saying no. No, the money will not be spent. Um, there will be trades attempted. A few will go through, and the big ones that you really want will not go through. That's my take on it. Um, kind of spoiling my answer for this last one because my reasoning behind that is that the team knows that right now, looking at they're watching these same playoffs, they know they can't get from point A to point B in one offseason. So they're going to go easy on it. That's my reasoning behind it. And they know they know that in their mind as much as they want to project that they are trying this and you know they're getting these guys back. What are the excuses going to be? Like we always said, well, it's going to be, oh, Kopech's on an innings limit. Oh, we don't have Rodon for half the year. Oh, Dane Dunning's still coming back from Tommy John. Oh, adjustment period for um, Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal. That kind of leads us into our next question. But I just feel I have the vibe, and obviously last offseason still has me hurt. I think I 
the you know I think about Manny Machado probably still twice a day. So um, <laughs> that, that's also a little bit of bias on, on my negative 90 part, but um, I have to play it. So I will. And unfortunately, the money will not be spent. Um, what will Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal's adjustment periods look like? And when do you think you'd actually see these guys? Their adjustment. See, I think Madrigal is going to struggle when he comes up. And I know you guys aren't the biggest Madrigal guys. He's you know good in the field, no you know no doubt about it. Um, I just think at the plate he's going to struggle a lot. I think it's going to be a lot different than uh, what he did in Double A and Triple A last year. As far as Luis Robert goes, I, I like I still like to roll the R's. Tony. Roll those R's. That's I, a nice yeah. roll of the R there. Thank, I've been pra- I've been practicing while I was on good. while you guys were talking. Robert. Um. Anyway, I. Th- <laughs> I think that he's going to uh, come up and I, you know what, I, I'm going to, I'm going to remain overly optimistic on this one because I really do think that he has the tools to be a five, you know, a five tool player, man. I think he's he is really a good. specimen, right? Specimen. I think that he's going to surprise right away uh, when he does, you know, uh, come up to the major leagues. And I think that he's not going to take much time to adjust because I mean, just <clears> shooting <throat> through, if you, if you look at what he did last year, just trying to keep this short and sweet going through three, minor league systems as quick as he did and staying consistent within all of them. I, I think that he's going to come up and make some noise. I, I truly believe that much like we thought maybe Eloy was going to do this year. I think that Luis Robert has the potential to, I mean, you know, obviously he's not there yet, but I mean, I think he has the potential to be a, a better, a better player. Obviously I think he already is. And I think it's going to show when he comes up. So I, like I, I think buzz. that he, I think he'll be okay. Physical skills are all there. No doubt about I, yeah, it. Tone. I mean, fielding batting. Yeah. I mean, the guy does it all. Yeah. Tone. You know, I could see a world where Nick Madrigal is traded this offseason. Um, you know, coming off of a like very a big impressive, time trade. Yeah, big time trade. Um, and you know what? I think that this would be the kind of guy who has some sort of value that the White Sox can move. I don't think his value, though, is as high as we would expect it to be, though. Um, and my backing to that is just you see DJ LeMayhew going and getting $12 million. Um, there's there's tons of free agent guys out there. You know you've got a you've got a guy in Yolmer Sanchez who is potentially a Gold Glove second baseman on the White Sox right now, who's probably about an eight million dollar a year player. And can you really tell me right now that Nick Madrigal is going to outperform what Yolmer Sanchez did this year? Maybe a higher batting average, but from a defensive standpoint, from an all around type game standpoint. You know what is he gonna what is he gonna be utilized on this team to do? How many bunt opportunities is Nick Madrigal really gonna get next year? Because that's exactly what you're looking at, I think, when you when you look at Nick Madrigal right now, is he's going to be the Ricky Bunt guy. I really think that that's what's going to happen. Or a slap single guy. There's not a lot of power. We've, we've seen this all year this uh, in this baseball season, not just with the White Sox, but across the league. What, is, what has been the combination to win ballgames? It's hitting home runs. The ball's juiced. I don't care, whatever it is. I know Steve Stone says that baseball is secular or whatever that it, word is. Circular. And it's going to circular, whatever. It's going to come back. There's going to be small ball again. Oh, is- I'm, sh- I'm, sure that, I'm sure that there's a time for small ball again in baseball. I don't see it being next year. You're not going to see this drastic change off where all of a sudden all these teams are winning with, with Aussie, Aussie ball and bunting guys over and moving guys over all the time and just trying to manufacture runs. Hitting home runs is cool and tough. I love fireworks. I want to see fireworks. And I don't think Nick Madrigal is ever going to provide me fireworks. So while I think that he could be the centerpiece or a a secondary piece in a big trade to go and get a guy, 
I don't think his value is as high as, say, Andrew Vaughn is right now. Or, um, hate to say it, like a guy like, uh, and, and not that you'd move him, but a guy like a Dylan Cease or if Dane Dunning wasn't hurt. I think all those guys have higher value. Obviously, the guy that has the most value in this organization right now, and there's probably two of them, it's Yohan Moncada and Luis Robert. So I don't think that you're going to get much back from what you would really expect to see. From a, from a top prospect in Nick Magical, but he can be moved and he can bring you back something that's going to be useful. Um, you may just need to include maybe like a steel walker or somebody else in there to go and get what you actually want. Um, and, you know, we can get into whether or not Rick Hahn would actually have the stones to pull off that deal um, because I, I do have concerns with that as well. But it, it, say Nick Magical does make this roster, the adjustment period buzz, I know you were really hard on him and you said that he's going to struggle. I still think he hits for a high average. I still think that he plays um, somewhat of an above average defense. I don't really think he's going to regardless come in here and be a world beater type player who's going to be franchise changing. So my expectations for him are a little bit lower. And I think that that kind of sways my adjustment period, so to speak for him, because I think if you're looking at Nick Madrigal to be an effective player, you're looking at a guy who is kind of in that utility role or just a, a your average second baseman who hits with the high average. So I, I don't really think that there's as much pressure on him to come in, hit home runs, you know, hit triples, drive in a lot of runs. He's going to be a either he's going to be batting one or he's going to be batting nine. So well, and, I mean, more, again, more that, likely it's going to be nine. Not not to interrupt you, but going back to your opinion, that's your expectations of Nick Madrigal. Pretty much everybody in White Sox hole, not everybody, I don't want to generalize, but a, I, I would say more than not in White Sox, I think the kid's going to be a world beater because of his 1.4 yeah. percentage K rate and all throughout the minors. That's what they're expecting of him. So when I say he's going to struggle, I don't think he's going to come up here right away and hit what he was hitting in the minors. I think he's going to be like around 265 maybe to Two seventy. Uh, you know, I, I can see him being a two seventy guy, but I can easily see him being a two ninety guy to a three hundred guy, hovering around there. And I still don't think, and like you said, the expectations from everybody year. else. Yeah, I really do because you have to you have to look at his body of work. He's always been hitting at that kind of a rate. So, all right. Well, I mean, you look at their body of works. I mean, that that could just go back into a conversation of looking at Yoan Makata's body of work in the minors. Well, then you know that is you just said this. You just said the same thing with Luis Robert. You're like he's consistent across everything. Nick Madrigal has been pretty consistent with that K rate. Nick Madrigal has been pretty consistent with consistent with that batting average. So I, I think the same argument plays here. He's you're going to see a little bit of a step down from both of these guys. That's just the major league adjustment. Well, but, there's one difference between two of them. One's a physical specimen, like Nani said, and a complete freak who was doing things that not a lot of minor league players have been doing. And that 1.4% K rate is great. I didn't say Madrigal is going to strike out a lot. I just don't think he's going to be able to drive the ball. And that's what I – against major league pitching. He's I, never I been that, able to drive the ball apples, to begin with. That's apples and oranges. So, I don't think I mean, he's ever been able to drive the ball to begin with. And well, I, he, I think he that, doesn't drive the ball. That's what I mean. So when he's coming up to the majors, I think it's going to be a lot different than it, what it is there. That I, I see a difference between his minor league work to coming up to major leagues and doing something different. With Luis Robert, I see a guy who uh, was on a complete tear, a literal tear, coming up and being effective and possibly being a rookie of the year candidate. That's what well, I see. I, I see I see this a little bit differently, and I think it's based on expectation. 
I think that there's more room for Luis Robert to be a disappointment than there is room for Nick Madrigal to be a disappointment. If you get where I'm going with this, well, right. because, like I said that, because like you're I said sitting here right now and you're already saying, you're already saying that, you know, you expect your expectations for Luis Robert are to come out and be a world beater. You, you think he's going to be, you know, the same guy that he's been across all of these, all of these minor leagues. He's a physical specimen. He should be doing this. And then you look at a guy like Nick Madrigal and you kind of, if you set a ceiling for him right now and you say, this is what you're going to get out of this guy. It's easier for Nick Madrigal to achieve those expectations than I think than what you're going to get out of a Luis Robert. Every single one of these guys that's come up, Yohan Moncada is a physical specimen, just like Luis Robert is. And you saw what happened to him that first year. You know, I know their games are a little bit different, but Yohan Moncada looks like a freaking linebacker. And Luis Robert could probably be playing uh, any position on the football field at this point in time as well. Those guys, yes, they're physical specimens, but, you know, I, I think there's a little bit to Luis Robert's game that could be susceptible to some sort of regression when he gets to the major leagues as well. Yeah, guys, I think you guys had a really good uh, back and forth there. I don't need to add much in there so we can keep this thing moving along. Uh, just my two cents. Luis Robert will be up the first home game that is after that, um, uh, you know, service time bullshit that we had talked about. And um, I think for him, it's going to be defense. We're going to see a lot of really, really solid plays, some uh, jaw dropping plays, some highlight reel plays and the bat. will take some time to adjust because I think he is more just leaning on his pure physical ability at this point. And there's going to be a lot of learning that needs to be done on how to hit major league pitching. And he's probably going to strike out a decent amount. Um, I think he's been getting away with it against these, you know, the thing about guys that are in triple a, uh, sure, he had a great run, and it's great. You you want him to tear it up at every level there, but um, I don't think it translates right away. So bat down, fielding up. Uh, and then for Nick Madrigal, um, I don't think we see him until July-ish. You know he's not going to start the season with the team. I would highly doubt it if he broke uh, spring training with the team. Uh, I don't see that being the case. So someone's going to have to fill in at second base, and they're going to linger this thing along because that's what they like to do, baby their prospects. That's and, so White Sox. Uh, yeah, that is so White Sox. So we're probably not going to see him till uh, end of June, um, early July would be my guess, to be honest with you. And I think for him, um, defense, uh, I think it'll be fine. I, you know, we just got what a, he won a Rowling's minor league gold glove uh, for the second base position this year. Um, that's great. So I don't I don't think there's anything wrong there. But then again, Yomer Sanchez is one of the best second, uh, you know, best defensive second baseman uh, throughout, you know, after basically April. Um, for this team. So what are you getting there? And uh, I don't think, you know, Nick Madrigal can drive the ball at all. Um, I've always been kind of hard on him there. I think, Tony, you, you know my opinion on him, and Buzz, you had hinted at it earlier too. So um, I wouldn't mind seeing him gone either traded. But then again, you can also see from the front office standpoint, they want to change the uh, perception that their draft picks are, are bad because, you know, you've had Zach Collins not, you know, living up to what a number eight pick should be. You've had the Carson Fulmer draft. Um, the last one they've really hit on is Rodon and he can't stay healthy. So, um, yeah, it could be a uh, scenario where they hold off on trading him, even though he has some of the best value out of these guys after, you know, guys like 
Luis Basabi and Mike Rodolfo downgraded their trade value this offseason. So um think they hang on to him, bring him up around June, end of June, early July, and uh, we'll see what we get. But definitely not a lot of power and uh, probably just a few spray hits, and they'll be fine defensively, though. So, fortunately, my, my bar isn't too high for Nick Madrigal. And then I'm also just accustomed to it. The uh, Yohan Mankata was a top prospect, so that's why I'm not going to go over the moon about Luis Robert. I love the physical ability, and that's why I think that the defensive uh, part of his game will stand out first, and the speed when he does get on will probably steal a lot of bases, um, go from first to third on ridiculous plays that he shouldn't be able to. Um, but the bat... It's going to take some time uh, because and when he does get there, though, it's going to be good because he does have that just that natural physical ability and strength. Um, but it's going to take some time for the eye and the discipline. So um, that's my outlook on those guys. What will Michael Kopech bring to the table after Tommy John? Uh, whatever he's bringing to the table after Tommy John's probably going to be for the Charlotte Knights helping them establish a nice little base for their playoff run later on in the year. Um, for sure. You know, I hate to preface this with the fact that it does make sense to do it because I don't want to see that happen. I feel like if you're a winning organization, you want to bring back that stud pitcher right to the major leagues and have him start going. I think it's going to depend a lot on what you get out of him in spring training and and how much they baby him. Um, You know, if if Michael Kopech never goes down with with uh, with Tommy John, and, you know, he's out this full year. I still think that this year they would have probably babied him to begin with. And you really start to see him open up probably next year. That's if he doesn't have this injury. If he did, now that he did have the injury, you still have to baby him back. You have to, you have to kind of remember that uh, he hasn't really played in a competitive game in over a year now. And, you know, if next year is a year that you're going for it and the money is spent and you've put together this roster and you're trying to compete, you may want to see Michael Kopech in Charlotte for one or two starts. I'm okay with that. What's going to be a problem for me is if it's mid-May and Michael Kopech is still on the Charlotte Knights, that, that will bother me. I'm okay with him not breaking camp with the team, making a few spot starts down in Charlotte just to get his wheels underneath him, you know, maintain that, you know, expectation that he's there to work on a few things. But I want there to be some transparency from the White Sox organization letting us know this is the plan. It's more of a rehab thing for him. He's coming right back rather than saying Michael Kopech has something to prove because he doesn't have anything to prove anymore. He made it to the major leagues already once. He deserves to be there. If it's if it's a rehab type thing, okay. If you're gonna try and pull some weird service time manipulation for the lost year that you have right now, and you're saying that he needs to go back and check proverbial boxes again, there's a problem there because you know that this isn't about Michael Kopech's ability. You know that the Sox are trying to be sly with something, or even at worst case scenario, they're doing it because they don't expect to compete. I want this team to come out next year, be transparent about its goals. You already had Ricky Renteria come out and say, it's time to turn the page. And I think if you're turning the page, that involves Michael Kopech being in the rotation for 90% of his starts next year. And like I said, I'm okay if it's just a little bit of a rehab thing. Get get some game experience back underneath your belt. Get the jitters out. Come back. You know, maybe it's not opening week. You don't want to expose his arm to the frigid cold temperatures in March when first starting the year up in Chicago, 
and get some things going. Unless he comes out and has a really stellar spring training, I think that's an okay move to send him to Charlotte for just a few weeks, get everything in order, see how he's doing in, in, in game experience, and really not take into account the end result, but just how he feels out there, then that's okay. But my expectations for him next year would be to come in and be a dominant pitcher in this rotation, at least a 2-3 guy, um, at worst your fourth starter, depending on if you make any free agent signings, because I really think that he has the stuff to challenge Lucas Giolito to be the number one guy on this team. And I think it's always been there, and and the stuff is just so pure. Um, And so far what we've seen out of him in his rehab, it looks like he's still lighting up that radar gun. Um, you know, just work on that control. We saw somewhat better results than we saw uh, out of Dylan Cease this year um, from Michael Kopech in his brief time in the majors. But, you know, my expectations for him, he, he should be one of everybody's favorite pitchers to watch next year on, on the south side. Uh, ditto. I, I can't say anything. Else. I, I kind of agree with everything oh. you said, so there's no point in me running on that. I'll um one point that you brought up that gets me furious and I will go back to my reaction on the um Rickon White Sox talk podcast when we kind of did a reaction to it. Absolutely unacceptable if he starts the year in Charlotte. Not not okay on my watch. Absolutely not. I don't give a shit about the conditioning and stuff. He had that surgery early. He had it early, got it done right away, which I commend them for. That was perfect. They didn't, you know, you saw it later with Dane Dunning uh, kind of bullshitting around after he got shut down for the season in um, in 2018. Then he comes to spring training at the beginning of this year, and then they start him and then stop and all that. They didn't do that with Michael Kopech. They did it right away. They knew it was wrong. They fixed it, and he's got a head start on this thing. He's already thrown instructs like you'd saw uh, to where we're getting those. It uh, looks like the speed is, you know, still, you know, very similar to what it was when he was here. You got a head start on this thing. This guy is a gamer. When he gets into spring training action, he is going to be treating it like the first, you know, opening day of the regular season. Absolutely unacceptable if he starts the season in Charlotte. Needs to be on the major league roster. That's me, but the organization will definitely do what you just said, Tony. Um, and they'll probably actually, you know, probably do some bullshit service time manipulation now i'm getting full negative 90 here i'm fired up about it because i'm almost as fired up about it as i was when we had recorded this after the um rick on uh podcast you know white Sox talk one um where he had said that and you know just tempering the expectations already laying the groundwork for what's going to end up happening so i know that's going to happen but um for the expectations of when he comes does finally come back and is in chicago i agree with you 100 with what you said so we can keep that short sweet to the point but in my opinion you had it done early fucking start him on the major league roster just my two cents all right um when does carlos rodon return oh it's gonna be in the middle of next year i mean i i've read anywhere from july to august i don't know how true that is i'm not a doctor i'm not a team physician but that's what i read and you know Testament. yeah I, i'd say july you know i i think if he comes back then you're looking at a guy, as long as you do this offseason the right way, you make the right acquisitions or you make some acquisitions because I think this team needs two or three starting pitchers. And, and starting pitching depth is never something that you can have enough of. Um, I, I think there's a, a shortage of quality starters in the major leagues. And, and Carlos Rodon, when he's healthy, he is a quality starter in the major leagues. This is the type of guy where, in my opinion, if the White Sox are in some sort of striking distance of the playoffs, he's that jolt. He's kind of a built-in trade acquisition at the deadline for you. 
And I think that he can serve that role. He's a guy that can come in. If you've got a guy who's teetering on a rotation spot, he can come in and challenge him for it. At the very least, you see Carlos Rodon come out of his rehab, and he could theoretically become a very effective two to three inning reliever type guy just for the end of next year. It depends on how they stretch him out out of rehab. Um, and it also depends on what the rotation looks like, but he is going to be someone who can provide a jolt to this rotation. Should they be in a competitive spot? If the white Sox aren't in a competitive spot. You're going to see him come in and he's going to assume a role for whoever is the worst pitcher on, on the starting rotation at that point in time. I would like uh, the latter than the former, but it, it is what it is. We'll have to see what happens. But I think he comes back sometime around August. You're probably going to see him get a few starts down in, in Birmingham or Charlotte So to, uh, just to get the rust off for him. He's not going to have the benefit of spring training to work out some of the kinks as a Michael Kopech would. So you're going to see some rehab time just because his his healing process you know, maybe done in, in, in June, July. doesn't mean that's exactly when he's going to get, you know, stuck right back in the majors. You're going to see probably two or three weeks, maybe even a month of him down in the minors kind of working out the kinks because it'll be a, a whole year plus almost um, from the time he went down. So there's going to need to be a little bit of expectations um, set there that he's not really going to be part of this ball club for a majority of the next year. Yep. I like what you said there. I'll just keep it short and sweet with a date. Uh, second week of August. That's my prediction. Um, will Dylan Cease find his composure and command next season? That's another tough one. Um, you know, I, I I think it's still too early. I think the book hasn't written itself yet on Dylan Cease because, you know, we talked about him getting those starts underneath his belt. Uh, um, I know that was one thing that I've I harped on almost every single time that uh, that Dylan Cease was taking the mound you've you've got to get through those first few innings. Uh, and I think the first two or three starts to Dylan Cease's year are going to write the narrative on whether or not he's going to have an effective first half. Um, I, I can imagine him being your four or five guy um, and being a little bit frustrating. The, we've, we've never questioned the pure stuff. I don't think any of us on this show have. But, uh, I, you know, I don't want to be negative, but I think it's going to be a struggle for him. You know, he really hasn't found that control yet. You know, he's got to put in a lot of off-season work. Yeah, um, he's going to have to put in a lot of off-season work. I mean, just like you said, Tone, I agree with what you said there. Um, what we saw this year was a lot of ups and downs from – I mean, he has the stuff to be a, a very effective pitcher. I think we could all agree on that. I think that he needs to put it all together. He needs to gain his control, and he needs to work on his uh, craft in the off-season. I mean, coming into next year – Again, not to reiterate what you said, not try to echo it, but I think his first few starts are really going to write his story. I mean, he really needs to get his control, use that. I mean, use the talent that he has, get it under control, and figure it out um, because I'm not ready to say he's going to be a world beater by any means necessary. I think that he's got a lot of work to do to to prove me otherwise. So, But, I mean, I'm, yeah, he, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping he's going to be an effective MLB pitcher. I think he can be. I just think that he needs to – I think it's a lot mental with Dylan Cease. Because yeah, he, right. he figures it out, right? He figures it out. But uh, I'm kind, I'm kind of along the same lines, guys. Um, I don't think it's all going to be there uh, right away. Definitely, still a little bit of adjustment period. Uh, when you think it, it was, you know, midway, it, this was uh, July 3rd was his MLB debut. So um, I think there's still going to be a little bit of that. 
um, in the beginning, at least for sure. But I do think, you know, we never saw a start really where it looked like he had it locked down. I think we're finally going to see that come like May next year. That would just be my prediction where it may not be consistent, but I don't think it'll be as inconsistent as Aaron Lopez. I think he'll put it together for a stretch. And then, you know, every pitcher is going to go through hell. Even Giolito had a couple ones where he got roughed up in the middle of this thing. So um, I think he'll definitely take some lumps uh, at certain times, uh, certain periods of time throughout the season. But I also do think we are going to see stretches where he actually does settle down in those first innings and he's ready and focused and the command is on from the get-go from pitch one so um, that's what I'm looking forward to for Dylan Cease Uh, definitely still a little adjustment period I hate that because I just want to win now that's what we all want we just want this team to be back in the playoffs we're talking about October baseball now and not a season reflection Um, but uh, it's still going to be a little bit for Dylan Cease so um, that's just my take on it and then um, the last one here before we get into our uh, socks on tap moments. Can this team compete next season? Obviously, a lot hinges on the offseason, but um, Buzz, if you had to give a prediction, can they? If they spend the money, if they go get effective MLB ball players, I mean, I think that everything needs to come together. If they spend the money, Robert comes up and is able to do, you know, be the player that we hope he, he could be. They fill the hole in right field, add a couple pitchers to that starting rotation. I think they might be able to compete if they do all of that, but I I can't give a gen I can't give a realistic uh, prediction here until I I start seeing something. So um, I think it's just too early for me to make mine. Uh, I I said what they need to do to make it happen, but now I need to see if they can actually do that. So that's where I kind of sit with it. You know, I I think they can. I think they can be competitive next year. I just want to set the expectations, though. What's competitive? Is competitive finishing in second place? Competitive, Jerry likes com- to. No. Competitive is considered uh, being on the wild card bubble. Right. On the wild competitive card Competitive is a playoff spot. Com- com- yeah, competing well, for a playoff I don't think, spot. I don't think competitive is a playoff spot. That would be, you know, are, are, is this that's team shooing to the playoffs? Here. That's, yeah. that's what I ask, though. Yeah. You know, adding 20 wins, like I said earlier, is going to be really tough to do. You don't see many teams going to add 20 wins. I can see a 12 game improvement. I think that's within the realm of things. Um, but I, I, I really think, like you said, Buzz, it's going to be it's going to be really tough to to make these improvements. We know it has to be done. Um, you hear all the speak from from Ricky Renteria and, and, you know, the front office. It's time to turn the page on this. It's going to be what year four of the rebuild. Um, I know Steve told, told us that it takes five years to build a house. So it's only year four. You know, the plumbing's not in yet. You can't even shit anywhere in the house. It's really terrible. You got to leave. <laughs> Don't do that. You got to hire a quality plumber. Um, but, you know, regardless of whether or not you can shit in the house, you could still party in the house, right? There should be some better moments. Hell yeah. There should be some better moments next year. <laughs> party. I got dying over there. You know, we could we could throw a party. We can rent a porta potty. We'll be okay. You know, we can make things happen. I think that there should be more good moments next year than there are shitty ones. And I know that's very silver liningsy for you there, Buzz. But I'm no, I, I'm I'm silver linings. Nani doesn't like the silver linings. I am. I'm, I'm the silver I'm telling, you, I'm telling you that I'm 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 taking the silver linings approach on this one. 
I'm just trying to get over shitting in the house and then, hell yeah, let's party. (laughs) Let's party, baby. (laughs) Crack them. Crack them in the house. It's a crack them crew rolling through. Crack them crew. Oh my God, that rhymes. There it is. So there should be there should be a lot of there should be a lot of partying next year. Should be celebrating some victories. With that said, the division is so terrible right now. Um, outside of Minnesota and uh, and you know Cleveland's kind of hanging on by a by a thread here. I can see I can see if the White Sox play their division very very well. You know you're going to have your games against Detroit and Kansas City, and we say it at uh, Shy Sox Weekly all the time. You win those division games, it sets you up for for you know uh, a competitive playoff spot or the wild card bubble or whatever. Um, you know you you can realistically maybe see this team improving fifteen games um, and and being up there. I think it just depends on you know what the division does as well outside of what the White Sox do because there, there's a whole lot of crap in the AL Central right now. Um, it's it's the White Sox for the taking at this point in time. It's it's in their hands, but uh, you have to make the effective moves. You can go see Minnesota or, or Cleveland come out this offseason and have a stellar offseason, make the right ads, and then it doesn't matter what the White Sox do because you, know, you take somebody off the board that was on the White Sox radar, and all of a sudden they're better, you're not. So um, like you said, Buzz, it's going to be it's going to be hard to do. We know it has to be done. But uh, if you if you want the short answer, gun in my head, are they going to be competitive next year? They're on the bubble of that. Um, they're going to be they're going to be more competitive than they were this year. I think they get close. Um, wild card bubble, maybe, but uh, not making the wild card is is where I'm going to put the prediction as of right now. All right, I like those good answers, guys. I would probably side in that kind of range that Tony had said. I, I would pin them between 12 to 14 wins better next season. I'll keep mine short and sweet there. Obviously, we are going to revisit this question. Obviously, I just want to get the initial thoughts on it because these are the burning questions for the offseason. We talked about it now. When it all is all said and done, we're rolling into spring training with a team that's most likely going to be fielding uh, guaranteed rate field come March 26th next year. We will revisit this question and we will talk about the realistic uh, chances of them actually competing. But no, for wild card, no, I don't think so. But definitely playing some more competitive baseball a little bit later into the year. That's just my take on it. So, um, guys, uh, we've done a lot of hardcore uh, in the nitty gritty of this team, Socks on Tap. Uh, on this episode, but this was the first year of Socks on Tap. We had mentioned it earlier. We pumped out 118 in-season shows this year. This is our first postseason show, our season reflection. So we reflected on the White Sox as a team. Let's reflect on Socks on Tap this year, guys. What was your favorite moment? Um, I mean, does it have to be a recording, or can it be like classified when we were together as well? Go, go with anything, anything. I mean, we're gonna probably gonna hit on a bunch of these here, but just yeah. uh, start throwing it, some out there. Yes, yeah, start well, throwing I, some favorite moments out there. Well, I, I have one that just really sticks out in my mind, and I think I brought this up on episode 108 with the 108ers, and um, it was right after um, uh, my stepmom passed, and you guys had me go out to the park with you because I was a little little bit of a funk and uh, Nova ended up pitching a complete game against the Marlins and um, just that whole day um, the atmosphere of the game uh, being with you guys out at the ballpark and and getting a White Sox winner and like I said just being with you guys during that whole thing I have a a million fun moments like with the Duke nuke where we couldn't even get through the goddamn recording because we were just laughing our asses (laughs) off the whole time you know whether we're slap happy or not 
I mean, there's a, uh, you know, right after the Cubs game, after Eloy hit that bomb, you know, um, I mean, there's so many of those, but I, the complete game with Nova, I know it, it wasn't necessarily a, a socks on tap recording, but the socks on tap OG crew was there. And, uh, that was my favorite, you know, I was going through a rough time and I appreciate you guys for that. So that was my favorite, uh, socks on tap moment for me. That's the sole favorite for me this year. Did, did Kins roll with us on that game? Is that the game that you guys came out and I got the picture of, of Yanni yeah. and Kins, you know, giving yeah. you that, that big old hug and lot B. Yeah. I, I was in my bucket hat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We did the, that we was... did, we re- recreated the, uh, windows 95 launch. Start uh, me video. up. Start yeah. up. Yeah. That was, that was a good night. That was a really good night. We killed a ton of beers that night. Um, you know, that was a really good day at the ballpark. Yeah, it was my favorite one by far. I mean, it's just if I had a, you know, I know that we could pick as many as we want, but I, I, I'm a one and done guy, and that that was my favorite moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, great times. Don, oh, man, uh, too many to choose from. Um, you know, I loved Buzz dropping tie tie on air th- that one night. You know, <laughs> he's just, you know, we're closing it down. He's like, yeah, I'm tie tie, and uh, you yeah, know that that was fun. Um, some of the guests that we had come on here, uh, NWI Steve did an episode with us, Socks Unprotected. I'm, I'm totally forgetting somebody here too, Johnny, maybe you can help me out. But, uh, you know, we had, we had a few different guest appearances on this show, help us break down some games. And, uh, you know, I, I think some of the fan interaction that we had this year, just from doing this, uh, really sticks out to me. There's a lot of you that, uh, they came out to the ballpark with us, cracked some beers and, and some tailgates uh, uh, at that baseball fan, uh, Jordan Miller, White Sox sale, um, all you guys who interact with us, Jason Hosking, uh, just Austin. Yeah, Austin, everybody's just interacted with us and getting to go out to the ballpark with all you guys. You know, that's why we do this. You know, we like to we like to have a good time, uh, crack some beers. Uh, cracking beers is cool and tough, as we like to say over here. Um, but you know, I think it was just a good year all around, you know, being at the ballpark, but, uh, we had some really funny moments on this show. Um, whether it be the tie tie, the, was it the Duke nuke? The uh, Duke nuke after Ronaldo Lopez. Yeah. (laughs) Just, you know, that, um, you know, trying to get into character for, for Tony Twista in between ball games, um, you know, and, and, uh, doing the. The, the pregame show from the from the lot where uh, Johnny brought me a chain. Um, yeah. You know, just just some really good times out there. Uh, to, like I said, too many to choose from, but had a blast doing this all year. Yeah, uh, guys, I mean, Tony, you, you hit on a uh, on a bunch of them there. Uh, one of my favorite ones, um, I think, was Buzz finally being converted into a Cubs hater um, because Tony, you and I have always been on that route. Um, and we've had a solid, you know, guys that write for on tap sports that are White Sox contributors. We're pretty much all in that boat. And Buzz at the beginning of the year was true in his ways. You know, like he said that, uh, you know, he dislikes the division more because they see him more often and all of that. And then the Cubs games finally set him off and converted him over to being a Cubs hater. And in my opinion, it might sound petty. Um, but we're here to cater to White Sox fans, diehard White Sox fans and pretty much all of them that I know strongly dislike the Cubs just like I do. So it's good to have you on the team, Buzz. Yeah, and, and and it wasn't just playing the team that did that. It was the shit talk that was going down on social media and, and me even being tagged in any of it because I prided myself on the outcast when we were doing that back in the day, Giants app, whatever you want to call it. I just never gave a shit. 
I care about, I always cared about my division and that spans across all sports, you know, not just baseball. I just, whoever's in my division, big middle finger to you, fuck you. Like I, I I'm out for blood. And then I'm getting tagged and all this shit. <laughs> Look what the Cubs are doing. Like, yeah, you guys suck. You're the redhead stepchild of Chicago. It's like, dude, get bent. You just started watching the Cubs in 2016. Like, go to hell. And that's what just <laughs> set, that's what just set me off on it. You know, you have the most. Your fan base is is trash. We might not be millions strong like you, but the ones that we do have are always out there, and not just when the team's winning. So. That's that's what pissed me off about that. It makes me mad even talking about it, you know, after everybody getting in my mentions. So big middle finger to all you fuckers that were doing that, you know, and your team didn't make the playoffs either, bitch. So here we are. Yeah, uh, definitely. But a couple more uh, things that were on show. The creation of Sunday Funday. I know that term's oh, yeah. been thrown around, yep. but we said, hey, hell, hell with it. We're going to do a little extended show on Sundays. It was always a good way to wrap it down. Uh, we got some great feedback on that big shout out to Matt Berklin. Um, you know, yeah, Shyberg, Matt uh, who's, who's come to our tailgates and stuff. And he said it was the perfect Monday morning podcast. And that was one of the greatest compliments I think that we've received all season. So uh, we appreciate you all tuning in to that. And uh, thanks for the comments and uh, reviews and ratings on Apple podcasts and all that stuff. And anything that you've given us feedback wise in the parking lot, we really appreciate all of that so um, we will continue the Sunday fun days and we'll try to obviously not as much going on right now um, we're just kind of in the waiting game right now waiting for um, dominoes to start falling and obviously GM meetings will be coming up in uh, mid-December per usual and we'll probably get more into them then but uh, you, you can expect some Sunday fun days in the off season and then uh, as we approach the 2020 season as well um, then a couple other ones that I had to touch on um, at the ballpark obviously buzz you're the uh, I think we were also celebrating your birthday then yeah, um, yeah. for that Nova game so that, that was just a blast <laughs> we had all of us out there and Andrew Kinsler um, you know j- just games that we took took in together in the 108 um always a great time i love fireworks the establishment of that tony um that's going to be a great reaction video i've already used it from the socks on tap account probably at least seven or eight times i lost uh, my voice from that i just want everybody yeah. to know that uh, that was that was in the last week of the season that was that last thursday game one of the reasons that we did not record was i didn't have a voice after those two home runs like, i legitimately yeah. did not have a voice um, I know Johnny, you went out of town. Um, Buzz, you showed up to the game, the the doubleheader. I was struggling, man. I, I could oh, yeah. I could barely get words out of my mouth. Just the you know, when I scream like that, it, it just ruins me for about a week. I've got that some doubleheader game. Words. That doubleheader game tone is when I ran into the door handle and that gnarly bruise I showed y'all the other day. <laughs> bruise. And yes. that was I mean, we should have taken a picture of that because that was cool and tough. That was that was gnarly, and then. The only I, I, I did come up with one more is when you guys were roasting me on a Sunday fun day because I like I disappeared for three innings and you said you needed to put a child leash on me. Yes. So that yes. was a that was a that was a good. I, I don't even know where I went, which is the bad thing. Like I thought I was gone for like ten minutes. Evidently I, I, I was gone for like. I found 45. you in the bathroom, man. I found <laughs> you in the bath. What was I doing? You were standing in the bathroom, in the middle of the bathroom, right outside of uh, of right field, right past the uh, the Goose Island. I found you in the bathroom. You were standing there. I kind of directed you out. I'm like, are you waiting in line? And you just kind of looked at me. And you're like, huh? And I was like, all right, come on, let's go, let's go grab a beer. And you know, we walked out. And this was this was the first official on tap tailgate. We got almost all the crew out there. Which yeah, was it was so May. Cool. It was so cool. It was back in May, and. Uh, you know, I believe it was Pat Bodeway 
um, our guy Peabodes, or I, I, I don't know, maybe it was Austin. Somebody found me up there with you, and you're like, what are you guys doing? And you and I were like engaged in some sort of like deep life conversation about something. I forget what it was. And I think like I was with you for maybe like a whole inning of that. And I felt like I was out of my seat for like the entire game, but you had been gone for so long that I, I, I like, I needed to go take a bathroom break and I just randomly found you. <laughs> I don't know how long you were in there. I, I, I'm, I'm worried that if I didn't find you, you would have been like taken by security for like being in the bathroom for as long as you were. Dude, I was just standing there too. I like, I don't even know what the hell happened. I must've spaced out. It happens to me sometimes. I stare off into space and then I'm gone. And, and like, I just remember walking out, getting another beer, going down to the 108. Somehow we made it. I got home. I didn't drive, so I don't want people freaking out at me. I didn't drive, but I got home, and that's the night that I called you the next morning. I went to take a shower, and I fell asleep in the shower, and I kicked the drain closed, and the tub overflowed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. This is... This is some uh, this is some prime content, some prime end of season content. The stories that uh, didn't come out on the shows earlier, you're getting them now. So yeah, Overfold I mean, we, we had cool we stuff. had a, we we killed so many beers in Lot B this year. I'm so proud of that oh, uh, from all of us. The Jello shots too. Um, yeah, I know you that's weren't there. I, I know you weren't there uh, on the on the last the last Saturday. But Buzz, Buzz and I, I think White Sox, Dave was there, Austin was there, Brooklyn was there. Went through fifty Jello shots in an hour. Wow! Wow! Yeah, it was, it was, uh, that was something, man. That was another night I came stumbling in the front door. I, this time I didn't take a shower upstairs where the tub was. I took one in the stand-up shower. In, who in, who in, was downstairs. the guy that just showed up to that? Because so I roll into the parking lot, right? John and I, we show up and we're there. Like we we were like the third car in the parking lot. And there's two other cars that are parked over to the side, like the trucks. There was like three cars parked, two cars over on the side, and one of one of them was Buzz and his father-in-law. And some random dude who I don't even know was there with you guys. And he like walked over and he stayed the entire tailgate. And he had one of those like leather jackets on. And I felt like he was trying to sell stuff out of it. You know, like the guy yeah, that no, you run he, into who's like dealing drugs out of his out of his coat. Like yeah, I, no. I, I think he sold drugs to like three or four different people in that in that he, tailgate. Oh, he came up to me and he goes, "Hey, are you Buzz?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he was like, "Oh man, he's I, I follow you on Twitter." I'm like, "Oh, cool, dude. We're throwing a tailgate. Come on through." And then he he just he he never left. That was the day I called you because I was gonna get kicked out a lot because of the parking guy. Yes. So I we were, I was about to get kicked out of there, and then I called the down Hawaiian guy, like, the park guy. Yeah, the Samoan, yeah. I was just like, dude, like, you know, you're <laughs> he's being a jag off, so we, we had some words. He would eat me, no doubt, but you know, I was all <laughs> I was all for it. I was ready, you know, like sitting there being a jag off. And then Tony's like, No man, this is the last tailgate. Don't get kicked out and I'm talking shit and I'm like, All right, fine, fine. You know, so I stopped and and we ended up having a great regardless, we ended up having a great time and it you know, it was cool. But yeah, the drug dealer guy knew me from Twitter and then he just he said he was going to hang around. I gave him a beer or two, and then he ended up drinking pretty much all my beer with me. But, you know, good guy, though, regardless. I didn't catch his name. So if he, did, he never said his name. Never said his name at all. Um, you know, some other some other tailgating moments, Johnny. Um, remember the game we came out of? It was raining, and you and I, like, pretty much closed yeah. down, not be in the back of your car. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, it was good times. Um, you know, obviously, I think we did Tony Twista before uh, before that game because uh, I think that was a day game in mid-August. So, um, yeah, uh, great times there. Um, sometimes, you know, it's fun to have the big organized ones, where, and we love to have as many people out as possible. So if you ever in the future, you see the ONTAP Sportsnet flag, which I will remember to bring from now on. Um, but when you see it, feel free to stop by and just introduce yourself. And, uh, you know, we're more than uh, willing to talk socks and crush a few beers with you. Um, but anyway, um, sometimes the fun ones end up being the unorganized ones. I can remember a number of nights where it was you, me, and Pete Hand, and Berkeley would roll through, and maybe Austin, and maybe Beef Loaf, or Trojan. My Sack Summer, or Wally, or Trojan on their way into the game would come by, and we would just shoot the shit out there until we heard the, you know, we'd look at our uh, phones and be like, okay, well, it's, you know, 7.06, we can probably crush one more beer before we go in. And some of those were just, just led to unbelievable conversations. So um, we're really looking forward to that and, uh, you know, just doing a lot more of that. Yeah, so, oh, dude, I missed I missed it like five days after we were we were done. I had posted like a picture and it's like, oh my God. So, you know, and I don't think that there was ever a game where we came into the stadium where I didn't need to hit the bathroom right through gate five. I don't think there was one game this year where there wasn't about five or six beers consumed before yeah. we entered. So that, that was, means we tail that means we tailgated correctly. We did. And there was even that one tailgate that we had, Johnny, where I think I showed up. It was like a one o'clock start on a Sunday. You know, I showed up. I think it was me, AJ, John. I think you, your dad uh, were there. I think my brother was there with his friends. And we set the grill up and we cooked burgers in like 25 minutes. We had a full, you know, burgers, chips, everything consumed about five or six beers and still made it in before first pitch. I think I got there at like 1220, 1225. If you're going to be one thing, you should be efficient. Yeah. So that just one, one more reason to stop by an on tap tailgate. We've got we've got food normally, whether it be snacks, but we've always got tons of beer. Absolutely, yeah. man. Cracking crew. We wouldn't be without it. Um, Absolutely. Let's see, it was another thing that I had something floating through my mind here, too. Um, I wish I could have been there for that last weekend, but, you know, unfortunately, friends' weddings get in the way and stuff. But um, the, we'll, we'll be right back at it next year. I mean, we are going to try and plan it out as much as possible. It'll be cold as hell, but, hell, we, for White Sox opening day, we'll absolutely do it. Um, I know Buzz will probably take offense to this. It's usually bare weather. We're going to call it Sox weather, um, you know, oh, no, for, for that shaking. first for that first one, since it's in you know March 26, so big plans next year. Um, like I said, you can always come by when you see the flag, but uh, we're we're gonna try and ramp this thing up and get it even bigger and better than this past season. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I don't absolutely, I don't think man. I don't think we're. I think this was just kind of a taste, and you know what? If we want to just take this back a little step back, you know, when when we started this season, we had a tailgate. Um, for opening day, we had two tailgates actually. The first two games, Johnny, we mm -hmm. got out there too. And on tap wasn't even an official thing yet. You know, we, we were running this under Shy Sox Weekly. On tap was, uh, you know, about half a month before being formed. Buzz, you were out there for one of those too. Um, you, you had your first Budweiser this year. I did at, at a I tailgate did. in Loppy. So I'm honored to have given that to you. But you know, we're gonna have a ton of these things, and guys. From from opening day this year all the way through the end of the year, 
you know, we started this podcast, I believe it was like April 15th, April 16th, April you know, 15th. We, we covered almost every single game. I think we missed maybe like five or six games total, you know, through the end of the year. And, you know, just as a White Sox fan and somebody who's followed this team, you know, since I can remember, I think it was like five, six years old um, when I started following the White Sox, you know, this has just been a wonderful outlet for for us to come and discuss this stuff. And I can't think of two better guys to uh, to talk White Sox baseball almost every single night. And I'll be honest, guys, I've been I've been going through a little bit of a funk these past two, three weeks without the White Sox and getting on the mic with you guys, cracking a few beers and just breaking down a White Sox game. It's been incredibly fun. You know, I can't thank the listeners enough. This show has done way better than my wildest expectations, especially in year one. And I can't wait to see what year two brings. Absolutely. I, I echo that completely. I appreciate everybody for listening, everybody coming on, you know, the guests that came on, the, the people that came out to the tailgates and all that stuff, man, this has been the best year of White Sox baseball. I mean, obviously not team wise, but uh, personnel wise with us. And I've had nothing, not, you know, nothing but a blast. It's been great. And I can't wait for next year to start and get back in the trenches and do it all again, man. You know, the OG Crackham crew, make sure you're hashtagging that shit. If you're listening to it, this is the OG Crackham crew. Anybody that joined us from day one, you're a part of that OG Crackham crew. So let's let's get it going, and I can't wait for next year. Hell yeah, we're we're gonna have to set up something that we can do for the Crackham crew, uh, maybe special koozies or something like that. But um, speaking of that, few on tap housekeeping notes, guys. I say amen to everything that you guys just said about uh, socks on tap this year. I, I would go and put my two cents in, but it would be redundant because um, you, you hit the nail on the head, man. It's been a blast. Uh, the formation of on tap uh, in or you know mid early April and uh, just letting this thing take off and really just all the interaction that we've gotten from listeners has been unbelievable. Um, and we appreciate everyone tuning in. And I said, we'll be, we'll be full go from uh, day one uh, from opening day next year uh, going forward. But a couple of on tap housekeeping crews, this is socks on tap that you're listening to. We do this for all of our teams. We talked a little bit about the beginning of it. Buzz does bowls on tap. He's our lead bowls guy over there. Tony and I are on the four feathers podcast and Blackhawks on tap. So if you want, we're still doing nightly stuff pretty much. Um, obviously it's not every day like baseball is, but after every game, we're doing a post game show. Um, Buzz and uh, Keith Franz, uh, both scripted on the bulls on tap. And then Tony, myself, Ron Luce and Patrick Comiskey, um, uh, all of our Blackhawks uh, on tap contributors, uh, we are over on Blackhawks on tap. So if you want some of those, I know we've kind of converted a few listeners. Jason Hosking, uh, appreciate you saying that you tuned into Blackhawks on tap. Uh, we love hearing that stuff. So um, we've got you all covered. Uh, we've got a Bears team that does Bears on tap. Same deal. Uh, recap episode preview the next week. Um, and then the Cubs guys. And I know that uh, a lot of our listeners here uh, are not Cubs fans, but I'm sure you know a family member or friend that is. Go and refer them to uh, Cubs on Tap and Northside Nine podcast because Ron Luce does a great job running that over there uh, and the guys that rotate in on those Cubs shows along with him. So um, I just wanted to get that out, housekeeping notes, because um, a little humble brag, we've been grinding over here, man. It's We've been grinding uh, all summer long, obviously, with Sox on Tap, and it continues right into the winter with our winter sports so uh, we would appreciate your support if you go and check out the website on tapsportsnet.com then you can click on the podcast tab you can find all of them right there so you don't even need to go and search on your individual apps uh and if you want to find them on your apps obviously we're on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, all that good stuff but um that ends my housekeeping rant guys uh closing thoughts for the season reflection episode of socks on tap 
Well, I just want to echo what you said there, Johnny, um, and just a few other things. Um, you know, more stuff to come, more content to come on our website. Uh, we're, we're continuously trying to make improvements to that um, and bring you guys, you know, more content. You know, uh, we've we've got just outside of the major sports, we've got guys writing about a ton of stuff. We've we've even broken uh, the, into the pop culture thing with the Always Sunny in Philadelphia uh, tournament that we ran on Twitter. I think that had a great reception. You know, we've been we've been trying out a few different things over here. It really means a lot to us if you go out there, you give us that review on Apple Podcasts, you uh, you comment uh, on our episodes when we tweet them out, all that type of stuff. We love interacting with you guys. That's why we do this. Um, and, you know, we've named a ton of names out there already tonight. If we didn't name you, I'm sorry we missed you. But, uh, you know, just just interact with us. That's what, like I said earlier, that's why we do this. We have a great time doing it, and uh, we ain't stopping. So, um, you know, just go out and do that. Uh, closing thoughts real quick before I hand it over to Buzz. Guys, it was a long year. It was It was tiring at some points in time. You know, talking about some of these losses, like I said, I hope there's more partying going on in the house, even if we haven't gotten a plumber yet. Um, you know, it, we're not Tri Sox John, we can hold it for a while. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it should be a funner year on the South side. It, it, it absolutely should. There's no, it, there's no excuses on this hindsight 2020. We've got a shirt out there too for that. Um, but, uh, I expect a way better year next year. Um, as far as, as good times. And we had plenty of good times at the ballpark this year. There was nothing better than driving home, listening to the ballpark mix when, uh, when uh, don't stop believing hits, man. You know that brings me back some memories there. And, uh, it just you know, hits it, different. You it, know, it, I, I think I'm, I'm gonna at some point. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to, uh, Tony. Now that you mentioned that, um, so our listeners can find. It. I know I had it as my pin tweet at the beginning of the season for a long time, but um, I need to make that public property on on tapsportsnet.com. So I, I will definitely insert a download link on our sidebar in the White Sox tab. So you just inspired me to do that. Yeah, um, you know, I don't think there was anything better. You know, just listening to that that playlist while we're cracking some beers out in Lot B, it was a great time. And then, uh, you know, just riding home and thinking about how good this White Sox team can be if they make the right moves. You know, I, for as negative as I've been on this podcast, I'm still definitely a fan. I definitely want to see this team win. You know, I think I just get a little frustrated. It's easy to get bogged down in some of the negativity, but you know, there's a good young core that's in place here on the south side, and they've got the pieces right here to go and build something special. I hope that happens. I hope that uh, you know one day you uh, you know you guys and and everybody else that we get to you know interact with in the Sox community can all be out and lot be celebrating a playoff victory or out somewhere, maybe at the stadium. You know, maybe it's uh, in my garage. Maybe it's at a bar somewhere. Um, celebrating a White Sox World Series victory because that party would be just, I mean, I don't even know if I'd ever wake up. Um, I think we'd party longer just, than the 2009-2010 Blackhawks did. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I really see it. There's a great young core here. There's a great White Sox community. You know, the guys in the 108, thank, the, thank them for all their support that they've given us. You know, guys like Pete Hand, Wally, you know, you, you've named a ton of other people. Um, White Sox Dave coming out to the to the tailgates and everything. We got a lot of support from from a lot of other people out in the Sox community. It would be a party uh, that you'd remember for a lifetime. And, you know, that's why we're doing this. We want to be there for that. And, guys, I don't think there'd be anything more special than sharing a World Series victory with the both of you. Yeah, I, I echo that completely. And just to remind everybody that's listening to this, man, you you, you heard it all right there. Hop on now. 
I'm gonna take Nani's humble humble brag. We've been grinding. Hop on now. Join that you know that OG Crackham crew. Let's just get that thing rolling, man. Hop on with us. Come with us for the ride. You know we're uh, we're all down for it. That's all I got for uh, the episode. If you guys want me to lead it out in true fashion here. Yep, go for it. I think Tony hit all of our points, and I kind of got my final thoughts in there. Um, take it away, Buzz. All right, well, be sure to go to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Follow us through the Winter Sports. Follow Four Feathers Podcast. They drop a Blackhawks on tap podcast every after every game, um, and then they do a weekly Four Feathers Podcast show reviewing, talking about you know important things that are going on, and then follow us at Bulls on Tap for your Winter Sports. Me and Goose. His nickname is Goose, believe it or not. So it's Buzz and Goose. Uh, Keith Franz will be will be hitting the Bulls on Tap stuff, and uh, you know, be sure you're following our Bears coverage too. But uh, we'll be back home, you know, and uh, what well, was it, about 150 some odd days now. We'll be back home calling Sox games. So uh, that's all I got, man. Go to OnTapSportsNet.com for everything that you need. White Sox forever. White Sox forever. <laughs> <laughs>